Come out to the podcast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. It's harmless phosphorescence. Everyone, this is your host, Throw Smiley, and like John McClain, I too like sequined shirts. Who's joining me this week? I'm Josh Cece, and isn't this embarrassing? I'm wearing my German ponytail, too. <laughs> Don't you got any Christmas movies? I'm Brian Lesh. <laughs> I know this is a restricted channel, but I'd like to order a pizza. I'm Alaric Weber. <laughs> <laughs> This, this is, is not the pizza channel. <laughs> hey, why isn't there a pizza channel? There, there probably was in the late 90s, peak <laughs> cable times, was. yeah. This is Harmless Phosphorescence. It's a podcast where we watch every theatrically released full-length live-action superhero movie ever made, which we've done. And now we're on to other stuff. Including this one, arguably. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, you know. Well, well, eventually, this character will become a superhero. He does become a superhero eventually. And this is... Harmless, I'm sorry, this is Holiday Phosphorescence, your Christmas-themed mini-series that we're doing, uh, where we watch Christmas movies and we talk about them. And this show is brought to you by our patrons, patrons like executive producers Michael Beckwith and Atticus Burkett. You want to be a patron too? Do it. Patreon.com slash Harmless Entertainment. We won't stop you. In fact, we're urging you to go ahead and, and, and do it now. One dollar. A dollar. That's all you need. A dollar, guys. A dollar. I, I, I might like fake resistance if you want, if you're into that kind of thing. Like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe for, you shouldn't. Maybe for, that dollar, for, you know, for two, you could use it in a payphone. Stop. For, 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 for two dollars, you can get Brian to do some consensual non-consent for with you. So <laughs> yeah, we could turn it into an OnlyFans like that. Oh yeah, yeah. we're tell, more than willing. Tell us what you need. <laughs> we're more than willing to sex any of you at any point. <laughs> <laughs> Both invited and uninvited. Yeah. We do. We're texting each other constantly. <laughs> sometimes Getting Indian, on the fun for some, two dollars. Yeah. Sometimes when Indian scammers text me, I'm just like, "Hey, what you wearing?" <laughs> Why don't we forget about that refund on the Norton antivirus and just get down to business? <laughs> but patreon.com uh, slash harmless entertainment dollar a month. There's a bunch of bonus stuff on there. Uh, Any which way you can was our most recent monthly movie. Uh, we're going to be putting up a episode on Strange Brew this month. That's going to be coming up. Oh, yeah. So. Head on over, check it out. This week, though, on Holiday Phosphorescence, we're watching Die Hard. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is Daddy coming home soon? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead... He's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. There is brilliant. Because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. 
Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants. Think, damn it, think. Is to be a hero. Where's Holly? Black Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Who are you then? You are most troublesome for a security guard. Sorry, wrong guess, huh? Would you like to go for double jeopardy? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy, mother. You just destroyed a building. And I am in charge of this situation. Well, I got some bad news for you. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. He's an easy guy to like. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die Hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? <laughs> uh, die Hard. I just want to say that I miss Don Fontaine's voice. I forget about it until yeah. I hear an old uh, John McLean. I want to watch that movie again after seeing that trailer. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the pinups, the uh, Playboy pinups. Yeah, the they trailer. did not get trimmed from the trailer. So there's some nudity in that YouTube trailer. Uh, I have a question. We're doing holiday phosphorescence. Why didn't you play the Christmas trailer for Die Hard? Oh, uh, because that was not the first result on Google. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you not do you not know about this? Look it up really quick. Lazy, lazy Honestly, man, Marge. you should you should look it up and possibly play that in place of this trailer or both, because they just I think it was last year they released a Christmas trailer. It's Christmas. This is John. Nice bear. He just wants to spend Christmas with the family. Is that- We'll see what Santa and Mommy can do. But when he gets stuck at the office party... Merry Christmas! It'll be a holiday... Merry Christmas! He'll never forget. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to the party, pal! This Christmas... It's a time of miracles, so be of good cheer. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. Get ready to jingle some bells. And deck the halls oh, with bows of Bruce Willis. Come to the coast. We get together, have a few laughs. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee ki mother. Together in the greatest Christmas story ever told. I got some bad news for you, Dwayne. <laughs> Hans, <laughs> Bobby, eat it, Harvey. Yeah! Holy shit. I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. Merry Christmas. Die Hard. 
this is their idea of Christmas. I got to be here for New Year's. <laughs> I had not seen All right. that. Yeah, and the uh, the defense rests. It is a Christmas movie. <laughs> it is one hundred percent a Christmas that, movie. You just edit the trailer a little bit differently, and it is a Christmas movie. Oh, his wife's name is Holly. Yeah, like, yes. every I, every I, element is Christmas. That's why I he's didn't there. Make I didn't make that connection until they used it as a punchline in the trailer. <laughs> Which is why it's so funny that yeah, the, I don't know if that, that this movie was released on July fifteenth. 1988. So again, that bril- we were talking about just how well movies were written in the eighties and they really were arguably, but like they made sure this could be an anytime movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely. as far as the debate goes, it's a Christmas movie. It's instead. 100% a Christmas movie. This is our uh, second summertime Christmas movie. The first being gremlins, which was released mm. in June oh, yeah. of that year. What was it with the 80s and releasing Christmas movies in the summer? I feel like I mean, it Christmas happened. Christmas in July was a thing when I was a kid. Yeah. It's not, it's not really a thing now. That, you know, the war on Christmas. Well, that's because that <laughs> knocked it back into the wintertime. <laughs> that's because oh, Christmas boy. starts November 1st now. No, as somebody born on November 2nd. <laughs> no. Well, I, we... I will fight to the death. Yeah, that's. No. Halloween's oh. the only thing holding back Christmas from seeping its way into like October and September. Yeah, everything. And me, okay. that is a cause I will I will raise its banner. I mean, we well know that there were two times of year that blockbusters, you know, back when it was all box office, there was no streaming and renting. So it was Christmas era, it was Christmas time in mid summer. Mm. So you probably had the choice of like, well, we could have Gremlins come out just a few days before Christmas and then play after. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that somebody got this to an executive and they're like, we have got to get this movie out now. We cannot wait. This movie is so good. This is money to be made. That could be. That could yeah. Be. yeah. Like, oh, it absolutely was. Like I said, it was released July 15th, 1988. It has a running time of 132 minutes. It cost $35 million. And it made $141 million. What's that adjusted for today? I wonder if this had legs in places like Japan. It had to have been big in the Asian market. There's yeah. nothing offense. There's nothing yeah. outwardly offensive yeah. about it. Um, they, yeah. It, it, ha- it's, it handles it well as just like a foundational leg of the culture of this company without like getting, going any further than that. The Japanese aren't the bad guys in this. They, you yeah. know, Rick, Rickman starts to set it up that way. But then it turns out that he's just a thief. Yeah. So it really has nothing about the doings of this company. Considering this came out around the same time as things like Gung Ho and Black Rain, like this is refreshingly unracist. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Uh, yeah. I mean, every every character is just a character. They're not a trope. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Except all the the miscellaneous. Well, they mess for the Germans. <laughs> yeah. Except for the Germans. Fine, I can live with that. Um, oh yes, no yeah, problem. No, Mr. Ortaka. They're going to be getting razzed for quite a while. Yeah. No, but the Tuck boss, Murray. like they mentioned, he was in an internment camp. They talk about it. Like yep. he, he's an American. Yeah. He's a Japanese American. He's not uh-huh. a racist Japanese caricature. Um, he I, made an unoffensive Pearl Harbor joke. Like yeah. it wasn't even distasteful. Yeah. Um, adjusted for inflation, that's $340 million today. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so 
it it made its money. It made its money very well. So uh, that means we're going to play the box office top 10 game. Uh, I will describe the top 10 movies of the week of July 15th, 1988. And the fellas oh are going to try to guess it. Um, Die Hard actually opened at number 12 because that was a they were it was a soft rollout. It was only in 21 theaters its first week. Then they upped it to about 1400. Then they got to over 2000 after about three weeks. It stayed in the top five movies for like six months, which is how it just like had coattails. It just, it just, oh, people legs. saw it multiple times. Legs. Yeah. And yeah, it just word or mouth, like you went and saw it, you told your best friend, and then you went and saw it with him. Yeah. Because this, this wasn't, was, this, this was the movie that made Bruce Willis a household name. Oh, yeah. Was I mean, this, this was the same year as They Live, right? Yes. Remember, there was some contention. Wow. Uh, they Live opened at number one, but Die Hard, like, actually had a resurgence right around the holidays when They Live mm. came out. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was still. It was still in the box. It was still in the top ten in December. So, like, hey, it, is They Live a Christmas movie? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Consume. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it opened at number twelve. At number eleven was the Great Outdoors with uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd <laughs> and, and Eugene. Candy. Oh, Candy. That's right. Eugene. What was Levy? What was the Levy one that was him? That was supposed to be Candy, but he dropped out. There was one um, with Aykroyd sure, and Levy in those. Mi- it wasn't Spies Like Us. It was. I'm not sure because John Candy and Levy did that um, security guard movie. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Aykroyd dropped Maybe. out. Yeah, that could be. But uh, the great outdoor is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and at number ten this week at the box office, an Australian outback expert protects his New York love from gangsters who followed her down under. <laughs> Goose, and Crocodile Dundee, Dundee. two, two, Ghost yes, goes to New York or takes yeah. Manhattan. Yeah, Crocodile Dundee too. No, no, it's it's the one that takes place all in Australia. The first one he went to New York. This one. Oh, right. I thought mo- he was in L.A. in the first one, so I thought he was in New York in the second. No, I what think I the third one's L.A. There's a third one. There's a fourth <laughs> one. They've made four. <laughs> the fourth one was like five years ago or something. I am done. The yeah, wow, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, no, the fourth one was like a legacy sequel he made because he's like. Oh right, people like son, the '80s right? Na- now, right? <laughs> it's me, Paul Hogan. I'm back. <laughs> Where's Yahoo Serious? That's what I want to. Yeah, where, where is Yahoo Serious? Um, at number nine this week. Wow. Um, a man loses his fortune for staying with the woman he loves, right as the two were preparing to adopt a child. As their marriage suffers, he plans for a way to get his money back. But first, he must sober up and get a real job. This is a sequel, and it's a madcap comedy romp. Oh. Starring. Oh, the tagline is, no money, still funny. The money pit? (laughs) No. No, The stars, America's Sweethearts, Dudley Moore, and Liza Minnelli. Oh, Arthur 2 on the rocks? Yes. On the rocks. Yeah. 
It's crazy that Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli were in a 80s comedy that was big enough to merit a sequel. (laughs) Um, At number eight this week. Oh, boy. A teen decides to go for a night on the town with his friends despite flunking his driver's test. Starring Corey and Corey. Yeah. License to drive. License to drive. Yep. Get out of my dreams and into my car. Yeah. The their tag the tagline is some guys get all the brakes with brakes spelled like car brake. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, <laughs> at number seven this week. A robot comes to the city and gets manipulated by criminals who want him for their own purposes. <laughs> is that a short circuit? Two. Short circuit two. Short, this is this is the summer of sequels to 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 uh, comedies that like like a very disappointing sequel yeah. to a very beloved first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, short circuit two. Uh, some say he's nuts. Some say he's bolts. But can number five make it in the big bad city? Keep your wires crossed. Can you make it? Does he marry Tyler Moore? He is. The robot with yeah. the intelligence of a dog. <laughs> he was manipulated. He was manipulated. He is not a living creature. Well, I guess he is. That was the argument of the first film. Uh, at number six this week, <laughs> I was like, he's not alive. Then I was like, literally the whole movie is like Johnny he, Five is he alive. He is alive. Yeah. Uh, uh, at number six this week, a fan who has an affair with one minor league baseball player each season meets an up-and-coming pitcher and the experienced catcher assigned to him. I love this Bull movie. Durham. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Yeah, this so is good. this. I haven't seen that in twenty years. Oh man, it's been a while. Late eighties Kevin Costner baseball movies. Fuck yeah, let's do it. Tim Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Costner baseball. <laughs> yeah, in the late eighties, it was a thing for some reason. Yeah. But yeah, Bull Durham is fucking amazing. Susan Sarandon is ridiculously good. Uh, at number four this week, the story. Of a young deer growing up in the forest. <laughs> Bambi strikes back. It's it's, right. it's the first blood. It's the it's the release of Bam re-release of Bambi. It's you know from the vault. Yeah. I, as a little kid, I thought that Bambi was not an old movie because mm. of this. Because I was a, a baby when this was happening. I thought that Bambi was released in the eighties. There were a lot of Disney movies that I didn't realize yeah. how old they really were because of the theatrical re-releases that kept coming. Yeah. Well, because this this was re-released before any of the other movies with the princesses, I think, uh, at least in this run yeah. of, of them re-releasing pre- movies. It's My- pre-Little um, Mermaid, which I think is what spawned the like, re-release yeah. of princesses. Because yeah. oh. I think that Snow White happened before little mermaid that was them like pumping up the yeah. princess thing this, yeah so it was this and this, from the vault little mermaid, shit, mermaid yeah. was this was it 88 or 89 somewhere around here i can't remember yeah i think maybe I think it, was it must have been 89 yeah but right. um yep. no my my first disney film uh the rescuers <laughs> saw it in the theater i had the 
the the little um the little record player with the book where the, it would read along the book to it the golden what was it golden tune something like that yeah yeah um yeah rescuers um uh, bob newhart and jaja gabor <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the my childhood here didn't know you yeah. yeah didn't know you needed uh at number three this week I don't know how to describe this without giving it away. A detective is our title character's only hope to prove his innocence when he's accused of murder. That is a very vague. And I yeah, left out some very important details. Um, detective. So uh, this is set in the 30s? 30, late 30s? I think the 30s. I think it's pre-World War II, if I remember correctly. Maybe it's post. I don't know. 30s or 40s. Um... It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. Oh, oh. And it stars Bob Hoskins. Oh, who framed Roger who Rabbit? Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. I always forget that stars Bob Hoskins. I'm too young. I was too young to remember his mm. name. It's everybody's just a fucking character in that movie to me. That was We should do it that. What? It was pre-World War II, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was. Oh, no, wait, but the highway system, that was the 50s. I think uh, it wasn't was the post- bad guy kind of Nazi-ish, too? He had I think like it might have been jacket. post-war, like late 40s. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. No, I think. Um, what a movie, boy. Oh, that that is one of the few perfect films, I think, that exists. Really? That yeah. scared the hell out of me, the end of that movie when I was a little kid. That It's so good. Sure. It did me, too. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older than... But, yeah, it was that Disney uncomfortable... You know, like where they get a little creepy. Mm-hmm. They always do. And he was creepy, the judge. Well, and absolutely. And they did, they did so much with Warner and Disney characters, and they integrated them with live action so well that Hollywood has been chasing that high again yeah. ever since and not catching it's it. It's true. They, pro- they pulled off practical effects that, yeah, they can't emulate with AI. But yeah. they haven't yet. Well, yeah, because... What a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, at number two this week, an extremely pampered African prince travels to Queens. <laughs> Real uh, penis is clean, your highness. Yes. Uh, yeah. Coming, coming to, to America. America. Coming to America, starring Arsenio Hall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is, arguably. Seriously. <laughs> He's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Eddie's Eddie, but yeah, but Arsenio Arsenio's underrated. <laughs> oh yeah, he always has been. Um, and at number, it's crazy that there was a time where I literally watched that man on TV every day. Every day, he could dance, man. Well, yeah, his dog. Pound. He was engaging. He could talk to people. I remember him. That was. <laughs> I remember him introducing me to Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> yeah, so many acts. Yeah. Um, at number one this week, opening at number one, our only opener outside of uh, Die Hard. Although outside, yeah, I'll tell you that afterwards. Our only opener outside of Die Hard. A detective must stop a sick secret contest to murder various San Francisco celebrities with himself being one of the targets. 
Ooh. Deadpool. Deadpool. The Deadpool. Deadpool. The Deadpool. Yep. Opening at number one this week. The final Dirty Harry movie. Um, opening outside of the top ten at number seventeen is A Fish Called Wanda. Oh. I love that well, movie. It's one of my favorites of all time. One of my oh, favorites shit. of all time. Yeah. It, it, it was even then. That movie. Are you going to k- 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 kill me, Ken? He got a fucking, uh, what's it called for that? An Academy Award for that role. D- did he win or Kevin, was he just nominated? Did he win? I, I think Kevin Klein won. Bobby I'm pretty won sure. Best work yeah. Yet. yeah. Yeah. No, he <laughs> deserved it. That was amazing. You, sir, are a true Bulgarian. You're the Bulgarian. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole! As he drives on the wrong side of the road in the fucking Cadillac. Oh, Kevin Klein can enunciate like no one else on earth. Yes, uh, that's why yeah. he's fantastic on Bob's Burgers because it's just so. He, yeah, his speaks, enunciation. Yeah, so precisely. <laughs> A chimpanzee can't read Nietzsche. Yes, he can, Otto. He just can't understand it. <laughs> can't understand it. <laughs> Uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis at her finest. Michael Palin. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Palin, too. So Michael funny. Michael Palin. Um, yeah. Palin. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Did, okay. Josh, I'm having a Galaxy Quest moment. I swear uh-huh. to God, we've done A Fish Called Wanda. No, no, no. And it was. No, and no, the we... sequel. Oh, no. No. no the, that no, zoo one? Uh, the zoo Strange one. Strange Creatures. Strange yeah, Creatures. Yeah. No, we, we haven't done either of those. We nominated. No. Uh, was nominated movies. for a monthly movie once, but it was not, it did not win. We'll do it at some point. Yeah, we will. I was thinking of doing like a, um, a, a, a spiritual Python series at one point, you know, at, yeah. if, down the road when we start doing <laughs> thematic or, or things. The, the Python adjacent films, yeah. you know, Jabberwocky, how to irritate people, um, what, Ripping Yarns was a show, but yeah. Oh, uh, Yellowbeard, Graham Chapman's yeah. pirate movie. Yellowbeard. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Nuns on the Run. <laughs> Nuns on the Run. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, that is our box office top 10, which brings us to the production of the film itself. Die Hard was uh, developed and. Uh, written originally by Jeb Stewart uh, who's a screenwriter so what happened was that uh, Stewart was uh, asked by 20th Century Fox to develop a script based on the 1979 novel Nothing Lasts Forever which was written by a former police officer named Roderick Thorpe and which was a sequel to his uh, book, The Detective. The Detective was developed into a 1968 film starring Frank Sinatra. Die Hard is technically a sequel to a Frank Sinatra film. Oh, awesome. Wait, did Frank Sinatra play John McClane? Yes. (laughs) And, And Frank Sinatra was offered Die Hard first because of a deal he had due to that film. Okay, I vaguely remember hearing that at some point like, um, years and years ago. That's the weird. character was actually uh, Leland, some, something Leland. Yeah, they changed the name. So he wasn't John McClane; he was Joe Leland. Oh, but it was that's disappointing. It was the same character. Um, 
But yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad that you changed it. Imagine say all these scenes and Hans is saying Leland and everyone's saying Leland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it was produced by Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Joel Silver, famous uh, uh, 80s producer. I mean, out of the 80s, too, with the 80s, I feel like was his heyday. He did uh, yeah. Jumpin' Jack Lethal Flash, weapons, Lethal right? Weapon, Weird Science, 48 Hours, Demolition Man. He's worked on a lot of stuff we've covered, actually. Um, yeah. He produced The Matrix um, on through the 2000s. Um, he's, yeah. Um, but... Uh, Jeb Stewart, yeah, as I said, he was kind of just a, a writer for hire. Um, Die Hard was his first big film. After this, he uh, wrote Next of Kin, another 48 Hours, which is unfair <laughs> to blame it because the script to that was great. Uh, what happened, and, and by all accounts, as it was shot... It was a really good sequel, but they decided in post to make it a PG-13 film rather than an R-rated film, and they cut out something like 40% of what they had shot. Stupid. Stupid. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yes. So uh, Jeb Stewart, he also wrote The Fugitive, which is wow. an, um, such a good movie. Yeah. I would like to shake his hands. Yeah. Um, he's currently, <laughs> yeah, he's currently been, uh, at this point, works on uh, Vikings Valhalla. He's showrunner for for that, the, what is it, History Channel, I think that's on? Something. Yeah. There's a few Viking shows. They're popular. Yeah. Uh, Steven De Souza also has a writing credit on this. Uh, let's see. Um, he is... Uh, Steven DeSouza um, has also worked he, he did a pass on the script basically he wrote the original 48 hours um, he works with Joe Silver a lot so Joe Silver brought him in to do a pass um, probably punched up some jokes yeah uh, 48 hours Jumpin' Jack Flash The Running Man uh, <laughs> Judge Dredd so yeah yeah uh, but our director, who was brought in by Joel Silver, uh, was John McTiernan. John McTiernan uh, was uh, he was he was kind of an '80s action guy. Uh, he directed Predator, The Hunt for Red October, Last wow. Action Hero. They brought him back for Die Hard with a Vengeance, though he didn't do Die Hard Two. Um, Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, Dude, those are all good movies. Those are all great movies, yeah. Um, his last film was the 2003 movie Basic, which was that John Travolta, Samuel Jackson film, um, which was not, it was not a great movie, but um, yeah, he uh, he kind of basically retired after that, it seems like. But uh, um, yeah, John McTiernan, man, made some great 80s and 90s action films. Uh, so they, uh, basically, uh, this is a Disney film. 
Um, twenty. It was you know with Twentieth Century Fox, but um, but uh, it was also uh, part of of Silver Pictures. Joel Silver, who was very, who was employed by Disney at that time. Um, yeah. So um, basically, uh, John McClane uh, was originally called John Ford. They asked to change the name because of the director. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> They're like, he'll get mad, but he's dead. Shut up. Um, <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Uh, so the idea was Rambo in a in an office building. <laughs> I just picture Rambo with the desk job. <laughs> He's like, accounts receivable. <laughs> receivable. These TPS reports. Yeah, Sinatra. Okay, so basically in developing this, Sinatra, he did decline. He was 70 at the time the film was made. <laughs> Imagine cramming him into a vent. <laughs> yeah. um, they offered the role to various stars at the time, including Stallone. Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, James Caan, and Al Pacino. Uh, I'm picturing every single one of those people crammed in a bit. <laughs> right? Schwarzenegger was offered the role. Um... But he turned it down. I just am picturing them all at event together, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they didn't make it. Well, I would call that quite an event. Right. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You set me up. They they had a hard time finding a lead, basically. Um, Schwarzenegger turned it down because he, in, in favor of doing twins, he didn't fit an event. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> His fucking well, shoulders are way too big. Uh, Al Pacino, though, you can slide him around. You can grace him he, up and just he's slide him down. Lubricating. <laughs> How does this happen? Uh, um, Bruce? Yeah, just what was the movie that he was a detective in where he was dating? Uh, God, what was that movie? Oh, no, I just, I watched. What's the uh, heat? I watched heat. I imagined oh, his heat. heat detective in in this building. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lay. <laughs> it is a <laughs> That's how they track him. <laughs> you can noises. hear him breathing and making those sounds. <laughs> you be kaye, motherfuckers. <laughs> the terrorists have one of those things from Alien, the motion detectors. <laughs> Beep, beep. The Pacino. Uh, uh, so, um, Bruce Willis originally, um, he he read for the role. Um, they thought he did well, but they were they were uh, they they were a little leery of casting him because at the time he was only no, he was known as a, a TV actor from Moonlighting, right. and that was not something that. Uh, TV actors didn't cross over to film at that time. That was not something that happened really. Um, uh, but uh, the only other film he had made was Blind Date, which was moderately successful. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, basically what happened is um, McTiernan's girlfriend, 
met with a representative of CinemaScore, which was you know market research firm based um, at the time, and they asked them to do an analysis of Bruce Willis. They did some, they did some, uh, uh, you know, some market analysis and told them that Bruce Willis would not have a negative impact on the film as a TV <laughs> actor. So they decided to go with him, but he had to then turn it down because his moonlighting schedule didn't allow him to make the film. <laughs> but then Sybil Shepard got pregnant and the show's production had to stop for 11 weeks. So in that 11 weeks, Bruce Willis was able to take the role and uh, film the movie. So you could you could say he was moonlighting as a film actor at that time. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it, 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 in retrospect, it's hard to think about, but like, you know, John McClane wasn't like an action hero. The point of the character was that Bruce Willis was moderately unknown. He was, a, it, he could play him as an everyman. He was a guy in over his head who was just kind of doing the best he could. Right. Uh, that was kind of the point of the role with the whole superheroizing of him. Like, I mean, at one point, he, like in some one of these some of these sequels, he's like in Russia taking down like, <laughs> yes, it's like, come on. New York. Up. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the character originally in the book was like a super cop. Yes. In the book. But uh, that is that is not how the screenplay was written. Right. He was more I dirty, they... dirty, hairy t- type. Um, I think they actually uh, Clint Eastwood uh, owned the rights to the book uh, and was planning on starring in uh, a, a make of it sometime in the 80s but that never happened yeah it was late it was around the Clyde era that he was involved with <laughs> Clyde advised him not to it's yeah. the Clyde era his Clyde era uh, didn't that run concurrent with his Dirty Harry era <laughs> the, well, the lesser known Dirty Harry era. He's a damn dirty ape, yeah, probably. Uh, Bruce Willis pulls off the everyman, obviously. Uh, imagine any of the other actors you... Um, they would be too conspicuous. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. John McClane kind of walks through the party and kind of is unnoticed by most everyone. If Arnold Schwarzenegger walked in and then shit went down, a random person would be like, where's that big dude that came in? Yeah, See, that Austrian John, guy. John yeah. is unnoticed by everyone except for the young, available women. Whereas if Arnold walked in, all of the men would be like, ooh, wow. <laughs> he's so muscular. Yeah, he's so big. I would definitely go to him for help. <laughs> uh, or a little Al Pacino. I'm like, someone grease him up and shimmy him into him. Uh, um, the, uh, his character, they kind of developed it during the film um, as they shot. Originally, he was a more serious character. They gave him more levity, um, made him more comedic. Um, they uh, uh, apparently had a debate whether it was going to be Yippie Kaye Yippie Kaye motherfucker or Yippie Taye motherfucker <laughs> because yeah apparently both were popular in the 50s <laughs> as 
cowboy things to say. <laughs> things to say. <laughs> um, Jan DeBont was the cinematographer on this. Um, Jan DeBont, of course, directed Speed. Um, uh, what else? Uh, I mean, there's some great yeah setups. Twister, but yeah, he's he's very well known as a as a cinematographer. Um, uh, yeah, no, it looks great. This movie looks beautiful. I don't think I've seen I mean, it in 4K before. Yeah, yeah, and the um, exterior, like rooftop stuff, and those stunts. Mm-hmm. You know, like getting McLean jumping off the roof and then coming into the window. Uh, yeah, so hard shots to pull off. So he was obviously in a helicopter or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. Yeah, no, it looked gorgeous. Um, Bruce Willis, as we were talking about, was mostly known for moonlighting at this time. Um, he, uh, This was his big breakout. It's what made him a big star. But he had already released his album, The Return of Bruno, from 1987, which was a blues album on which he sang and played harmonica. Um anyone who hasn't heard that <laughs> do yourself a favor and <laughs> check out the return of Bruno I'm not sure who Bruno is or where he was but he came back and Bruce Willis was involved <laughs> he came back it's like Leonard part six we don't know. Yeah. we don't know about the time. do you guys remember the um, Seagrin's wine cooler commercials he did around that time yes yeah where he sang oh. yeah he he did like a little like blues like like Seagram's, Seagram's wine coolers jam. Okay. Here I got this. Seagram's golden wine coolers, sweating it's dry. My 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 my. I wanted to live with Alzheimer's. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's, it's wet and it's and dry. It's, uh, <laughs> yes, just like all of their wives. That was the. <laughs> oh my god! He had a whole band the... on his patio. That just yeah, the boys no, hanging out, just... jamming, <laughs> drinking secrets, drinking wine, yeah, drinking wine, popping their collars. That was clearly an attempt to make wine coolers like for not just for ladies. <laughs> Not just for ladies. Yeah. But, yeah. And also joke. for men attracted to Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> it's for uh, every, both kinds. They had a very uh, a John Cougar Mellencamp vibe. Yeah. Yes, he did. But he was also yeah, doing like did. some dance like moves, which was like, a, I don't know if yeah, I've seen Bruce Willis was, do that before. Well, you've seen Mellencamp dance, right? And especially oh, yeah, Mellencamp, just, sure. Just, but with the black t-shirt and jeans, yeah. the weird serpentine kind of... <laughs> what a dad garage man that was. <laughs> Each guy got whiter as the camera pan. Uh, um, Bruce would go on to provide uh, uh, music for uh, the film's Moonlighting... Or for the Moonlighting soundtrack for Hudson Hawk, which he starred in. He did uh, two duets with Danny Aiello. 
Astronauts and Hawk soundtrack. <laughs> for he uh, provided a uh, song for the whole nine yards soundtrack, and for Rugrats Go Wild, two thousand three. Wow, he's really spreading his wings. Yeah. Um, oh, Bruce. Um, I'm not going to go into his whole career. We know what he's done since then, but. Um, yeah. Did he play a parent or somebody in the Rugrats movie? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I have the internet, but I'm not going to look it up. I'm not looking it up either. <laughs> We've already found too much out about Bruce Willis yeah. today. And of course, Bruce Willis is now retired. Um, he's currently suffering from a form of dementia. And so that's, you know. Yeah. It's. I guess he's at this point nonverbal. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's very, very sad. And like he got made fun of for the last 10 years for just taking like like terrible movie roles where he'd get like a million dollars for being in the film for five minutes but it turns out he was trying to create a nest egg so that his he wouldn't be a burden on his family as he which is yeah you know like it, it's the opposite of the uh nick cage approach which is i'm bored i want to make movies it's like no i i have an exit plan yeah, yeah. I make everything so well, and there's an expiration date. I won't be able to do this <laughs> yeah. much longer. Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, it, it it's a form of dementia, but what, isn't it? I thought it was also related to a TBI or, or something like that. I, I'm not too. I I don't know about the. I think yeah, what I read was that it. it is similar in effect to some TBIs because some TBIs can. It's like an aphasia kind of thing. Where you yeah. lose your ability to like attach things to your memory. So he yeah. was like failing being able to even read lines, I guess, at that right. point. He was losing the like symbolic whatever connection. Yeah. Between the mean. words. Yeah. So he's I think that he is losing his ability to read and quickly his ability oh. to communicate. There was a video of him recently that his daughter posted online where he's still he's still there um, and he's still like loving and, you know, remembers his family. But it's clear that he's like, it's aphasia. Specifically. Yeah. Oh, it is, yeah. It is okay. actually it aphasia. Is aphasia. Yeah. OK, yeah. Um, yeah, he's he he isn't speaking anymore. And I guess, yeah, his agent had mentioned that he was a ferocious reader in general and can no longer do that yeah it's anyway he, he gave us a lot it, yeah he, oh yeah he did i think he's a fun actor and he always was he is and and you know i've there's there he's one of those guys where n nothing really has ever come out about him being like a major douchebag or anything like he's always been considered like a pretty decent guy by hollywood standards yeah, I mean, there's no story of him ever slapping Ashton Kutcher, and I give him a lot of credit. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Even if he was fine with it, just a slap at some point. I would have. There's he, days I want to slap Ashton Kutcher, and I have no personal involvement in his life. Exactly, exactly. I mean, Bruce Willis is a, a, a man. Ashton Kutcher is a boy. Still, to this day, absolutely. Still, both, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, all right, Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. Uh, I think this is the first Alan Rickman film I ever saw. Um, uh, this is his first too. role. Is it? I think ever. In America, right? Yeah. I, well, in uh, on, in, on film and yeah. film, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. This is his first movie. Yeah. God damn, yes, so good. Absolutely. He, he just, he walks away with this film. Dude, he eats every scene 
up completely between up. between Rickman and Bruce Willis. Like no wonder, like those two guys just absolutely killed it, and they had great chemistry. Um, I had I, I found a few uh, Rickman tidbits uh, trivia that I'll sprinkle out through the uh, through the show. You s- some little Rick Rick but, minutes. Rick minutes. Yeah. Uh, some behind the scenes stuff. Um. Yeah. We'll go uh, scene by scene. Nice. Alan Rickman, of course. Um. Let's see. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He played the sheriff of Nottingham. He was great in that. Um. He he had a pretty decent '90s like British character actor career. In '99, he did Galaxy Quest, which, if you'd like to go to Patreon.com/slash/HarmlessEntertainment, you will not find a Galaxy Quest episode there. <laughs> yeah, I had us for a second there. Yeah. Um, in 2000, he was in something called Help. I'm a fish. Okay. <laughs> um, but then, of course, probably his most high-profile role would be as Severus Snape in eight Harry Potter films. Um, uh, I still argue his most important role is as Metatron, the voice of in God. Dogma. Mm. Dogma. Yeah. Yes, that I was is... going to say that. And there's that great anecdote um, that Kevin Smith, um, he's talking to Jamie's and he's like, you have your lines memorized. He's like, I have everyone's lines memorized. He's like, you memorize everybody's lines? Yeah, I'm scared. I got to show up that Rickman, dude. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I wonder if that's why the dialogue is so tight in that movie from him in particular compared to other movies is because he went so hard. Wow. Good yeah. for Jay Muse. Yeah. Actually yeah. learned his lines. I can't imagine yes. he did that in any other movie. He doesn't get a lot of respect. Well, I mean, in every other movie, all he says is fucking snoogans. In that movie, he carries the plot. Yeah. That's cool. Right. That's really cool. Yeah, I, lo- I love that about him. Wow. Uh, That's one of my yeah. favorite movies of all time. You guys it was know that. terrified yeah. because, of course, Die Hard, you know, he grew up just like we did on this shit. So, yeah. you know, he was just terrified. He's like, I cannot look stupid in, fr- you know, in front of <laughs> like, Alan Rickman. Even though that's his role is to be considered stupid by kid. Alan Rickman. Right? Yes. Everyone I'm already swimming up, kid. upstream here, man. Come on. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, you, you masturbate more than anyone on the planet <laughs> and when you're doing it you're thinking of guys god i love that movie so not all the, not every time <laughs> um alan rickman of course also did the voice of uh marvin and the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy movie that one is on patreon.com slash armless entertainment and uh, pitch perfect i don't remember perfect dude. marvin absolutely yeah and uh he also love actually which is also a great oh, yeah. christmas movie um it's one of his like normal people roles. Yes. Love actually. He's yes. a normal person. Everything else okay. he's a bad guy or an important character in a thing. He's just a person. I can't think of any other movie where he's just a dude. Yeah. It's true. Without Absolutely. magical, mystical, evil intentions or something. Yes. Uh he did pass away in January 2016. So. Yeah. That was a bummer. Yeah. Um, he should have had a lot more work. Doing Harry Potter took up a lot of his time. I wish he had a larger body. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Seriously. Um, 
Alex I wish you had a larger body is just a funny sentence. <laughs> that is funny. I wish you had a larger body. I wish he was a, a, between a Dom Dello. Like a vertical or horizontal? And an Andre uh, the Giant. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> vertical or horizontal. <laughs> I wish he was more round. Little of both. Um, Alexander, uh, Alexander uh, Godunov uh, played uh, Carl. That's uh, Hans's second in command. <laughs> Our blonde. Oh, we know Carl. <laughs> yeah, we know Carl. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I fucking met Carl. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've seen him in a ton of stuff as like random blonde German guy, but I mean, he I know, is, I, it seems like he's the nihilist from the Big Lebowski. Right? Where, you know, something. But he's, he's not. He's all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Somehow he looks like all three of them. He was also in Witness and the Money Pit. So. He was one of the goons in Witness, or was he one of the Amish? Oh, he was one he of the goons. He had to have been a goon. <laughs> like, I, uh, he, I, I, I love... Oh, sorry. Well, I don't know. He played an Amish dad in the movie North, uh, the the oh, Elijah Wood the movie where he's trying to find other parents. So he might have been he might have been one of the Amish guys. Maybe. Um Bonnie. I like John McLean was writing down the names, and of course, that was to keep track of who he was dealing with. But that just reminded me of Homer. Carl equals black. Lenny <laughs> <laughs> equals white. And he just figured it out. It's hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bonnie, Bonnie Bedalia. Um, plays uh holly um bonnie bedalia is uh her brother is kit calkin macaulay calkin's dad oh wow she's macaulay calkin's uh aunt wow yeah weird yeah uh very weird um so uh she i didn't realize the calkins came from a Hollywood family, but I thought they were the start of a Hollywood family. But no, I guess, no, yeah, yeah they were. I that, it's it's always nepotism every time. That's what every time. doing this show has taught me. Um, yeah, so she uh, let's see, she got her start in the '60s in uh, soap opera Love of Life. Um, she went on to be in movies like They Shoot Horses. That was probably her biggest role. Uh, I had to look it up. Carl is the main Amish dude in Witness. Wow. He's the blonde guy who so is like weird. personable the whole time. It makes sense though because they hired a German guy because they're Pennsylvania Dutch Amish people. German, yeah, makes sense. Which, which strangely speaks German. I love that the Pennsylvania Dutch speak German. Anyways, moving on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bonnie Bedelia. Um, she was the mom in the boy who could fly. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, whew, this is probably her biggest role. She was also in Die Hard too. Um, that's the last Die Hard she was in. She was in Presumed Innocent, Needful Things. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, her her she she was she played she'd play the romantic lead throughout the seventies, and then by the eighties, she was playing mom. Yeah, she's unremarkable. She's not bad. She's not. Yeah, she, she never had a giant career. She had a very solid middle-of-the-road character actress career throughout the 70s and 80s for the most part. Um, 
Then Reginald Bell Johnson as Al Powell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, Reginald Bell Johnson. Um, probably best known from uh, as Carl Winslow from Family Matters. From Perfect Strangers spinoff Family Matters. Perfect Strangers spinoff Family Matters. Oh, that's Tefan Urkel. I mean, they they named a high school after him in Invincible. That's what I know him as. That's hilarious. Yes, I love that. The He's Reginald also Bell the Johnson principal, or his likeness is the principal of the of the school named after the character. It's yeah. my favorite. So his first <laughs> his first two films, um, in he was in Wolfen as a morgue attendant. <laughs> Wolfen. And he was in Ghostbusters as a uh, random, as a, one of the prison cops when they got thrown in the the cell by uh, mm. by uh, the dude who, by uh, uh, Walter Peck, player. who's also in this movie. Oh, who's in this movie? Yes, the EPA guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he was also in Crocodile Dundee. Wow. And Turner and Hooch. Wow. I don't think I rem- I don't remember him from any of those. I'm gonna have to watch him more carefully if I ever next. I don't know. I haven't watched Turner and Hooch since like 1991, so I don't know. I the next watch time I watch time. Turner and Hooch is gonna be. But... <laughs> I've got to watch him more carefully. Yeah. This Reginald Veljov. Um. Oh wow, he was in Endgame, but they deleted the scenes he was in. Weird. Yeah, he played a fire chief. Okay. You couldn't have kept at least a shot. (laughs) And oh my God, wait. So he was also in 2020's The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee, the most recent Crocodile Dundee sequel. Wow. How, wait a minute. How many have there been now? Because I don't think I knew about this one. Um, He's also in the Colton family. Reginald Bell Johnson? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Reginald Bell <laughs> So, um... So, okay. So, there have been... Just those three? Huh. This is very confusing. I'm trying to find out how many Crocodile Dundee films there have been, um, but they're apparently not counting... The latter day ones, they're only counting the first three. Um, I guess they're, I guess they're not officially Crocodile Dundee films. Like he's t- playing a character named Crocodile Dundee, but they're, he didn't own the rights to the original Crocodile Dundee character, so he's. What's happening? So it's not considered part of the official Crocodile Dundee canon. <laughs> GTK. Oh no, he plays himself. The very excellent Mr. Dundee. He plays a character named Paul Hogan, but it's it's a it's a crocodile Dundee style version of himself. That is very weird and confusing. All right, <laughs> I'll say. Anyways, enough crocodile Dundee. Oh. <laughs> Reginald Bell Johnson. Is a great man who we will name schools after. Um, let's see. Uh, Paul Gleason plays uh, uh, Dwayne Robinson. That's uh, the chief, the LAPD, the stupid chief. Um, 
God, he is a character actor cop guy. What do I know him best? Oh, we from? we a lot of us know him most from uh, the Breakfast Club. Yeah, I was gonna say he's, he's the teacher. Breakfast Club. Yeah, the principal. Yep. You, well, no, he's the teacher that volunteered for detention. He was a teacher. I thought yeah. he was the principal. I. Was uh, he? he was just a teacher, and you got you got overtime if you went to weekend detention. That's why they weren't all that afraid of him. No, <laughs> no, he was a, assistant principal, Richard Vernon. What? He was assistant principal. Weird. Not principal, but assistant principal, which is no, no. that's a fucking dude. That's always like the worst. Well, they're the disciplinary. The they're yeah. in charge of discipline usually. Yeah. Huh. That's yes, always the guy that. that the kids hate the most is the assistant principal. Even... Yeah, because again, yeah, well, a lot of the times the assistant the dean. Yeah, a, a lot of the times the assistant principals would also teach classes. Hmm. Ours um, ran the sports program and shit. Mm. Ours was a kicker for the Dolphins. <laughs> Weird. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, Breakfast Club definitely what he's best known for. He was also in Hardcastle and McCormick. <laughs> For an episode, <laughs> um, he was in Ewoks: The Battle for Endor, <laughs> which is <He's>, amazing. <laughs> he, he also ran detention. Yeah, uh, he was in Johnny B. Good, huh? So he worked with uh, 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 Anthony, Anthony Michael, Michael Hall again. Yeah, um, but yeah, let yeah he he just was was a character actor extraordinaire. He was in so many TV shows. He was in an episode of Seinfeld. He was in the movie I Love Trouble. Um, he reprised the role of Richard Vernon in Not Another Teen Movie. Yes. Yes. Um, he, uh, yeah, his uh, last film was 2011's The Passing. Um, and, uh, yeah. He uh, he then pa- he did pass. Wait, how did he, how was he in a movie in 2011? He he died in 2006. It was released. I then. guess it was released five years after his death. Crazy. Um, they didn't use footage from a movie or something in it. <laughs> Maybe it was I don't called know. Passing. Uh, Devereaux White played Argyle, the limo driver. Yes. Um, yeah. If you've enjoyed the last season of uh, Stranger Things, you can see a lot of parallels between their Argyle and this Argyle. Yeah. Um, Deborah White, his first film role was at the Blues Brothers. He played a young guitar thief, the guy who was trying to that oh, Ray Charles. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, him. Wow. Oh wow, he was in Max That's Dugan awesome. Returns. You guys remember that movie? I do. Um. He was in Places in the Heart, Action Jackson. Um, strangely, after Die Hard, he was in no more films that anyone's ever heard of. Um, but he, let's see, this film, or this year, he was in a uh, movie called Easter and one called Obliterated, which are both, I imagine, straight to streaming series. Um, Obliterated is a TV series. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, he was also in an episode of Workaholics. Oh, so was he. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, 
As we mentioned, William Atherton plays Richard Thornburg, the TV reporter, best known as uh, the EPA, William Peck, the EPA guy from Ghostbusters. Uh, the real, man with no dick. The man with no dick. He was no the dick. douchey professor in uh, in in um, uh, the back to school. No, the real genius. Oh, yes, he sure was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy whose house gets popcorned in it. Yeah. Yeah. He always plays that kind of guy, like a real douchebag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like those are his three biggest roles, I feel like. Um, but he, you know, would he. It, oh, my God. He's going to be in the Ghostbusters movie coming out next year as Walter Peck. He's reprising his role. It looks like everyone that is alive is reprising their role. Yeah. So. Even Sigourney. I wonder wonder about Rick Moranis. I haven't seen him. Ooh. Yeah. That'll. Hmm. It's. <laughs> Last time he went out, he got punched randomly. So. He's probably like, fuck it. Yeah. It's so. It's. Yeah, I don't know. It's so bittersweet to me that they finally are getting Ghostbusters stuff together after Harold Ramis is gone. But anyways, um, uh, just a couple more quick note. Uh, Clarence Gilliard plays Theo. That's the tech guy that was doing the uh, safe cracking. He was from Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes. Yes, he was. Um, He was also in Top Gun, The Karate Kid Part 2, and a couple Left Behind movies. Oh, a matter of faith. The beast. He does a lot of Christian movies these days. Anyways, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Walker Walker Texas Ranger was made by a lot of the same people who make religious stuff too. I'm sure, absolutely. Chuck Norris, man. Um, The only other real character actor I noticed was um, the white uh, FBI agent named Johnson. He was one of the Fratellis, and yeah, from yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Popped up a lot in the '80s. That pockmarked skin, like mm-hmm. often played a gangster yeah. or badass. Um, Hart Bachner also is a character actor guy. He played Harry Ellis, the sleazy Coke executive. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> that dude. Um, he was in uh, Breaking Away. He was in Supergirl. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I knew we'd talked about him before. Making Mr. Right. Um, he did a voice in Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, Urban Legends Final Cut. Um, yeah, he's... And uh, let's see, his most recent role is he's in Too Old to Die Young, a crime drama, which is ongoing, maybe? Or maybe it only went the one year. But that was his most recent role in 2019. Um, and uh, our final one we're going to mention here is uh, James Saburo Shigeta played uh, Mr. Taka- Takagi. Uh, he played a played racist caricatures throughout the 50s and 60s. Um, including uh, thing he was in movies like The Crimson Kimono, Walk Like a Dragon, Bridge to the Sun, Flower Drum Song, a lot of very, very 
racist 50s and 60s films. Um, and he voiced uh, General Lee in Mulan. Yes, he did. Hmm. I didn't know Robert E. Lee was in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. His, uh, his final... Oh! Oh no! In oh he his yeah his his uh last uh television role is he did a voice in Avatar: The Last Airbender. In an episode, he played an old wanderer, and uh, his final film role was in uh, 2009, a movie called People I've Slept With. So, um, that's about it for the cast. Um, that's about it for our background here. Um, this film was reviewed by Siskel and Ebert. Oof. Uh, what do we think? Two up. Two up, I think. Damn, that's so risky. Yeah. All right, it's, Gene, it's Gene, Gene be down, up. Roger up. This movie's perfect. It's two thumbs up. For Roger. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to stick. You're right, I, I'll stick with I, my original. I, I bet they're going to say, why wasn't this released at Christmas time? This is a Christmas I, movie, isn't it? I definitely, I, I have no doubts that Roger's going to give it an up. Gene, I can never call what that asshole's going to do. I can never call, but I'll stick with my original guess. Yeah, too. We accept that we now know what happened to Roger at 14. Coming up next, Doc is <laughs> up against a gang of crazy terrorists who have occupied a skyscraper. What the <laughs> What happened to Roger when he was 14? I don't want to know. An office party in a Los Angeles skyscraper and is overlooked when terrorists occupy the building and round up all of the other people. Hiding out on a floor that's still under construction, he wages a one-man war against the bad guys and maintains radio contact with Reginald Vell Johnson as a cop down on the ground. I want you to find my wife. Don't ask me how. By then, you'll know how. Uh, I want you to tell her something. Of the guy in the beard, that's Alan Rickman, who plays the villain and who's really the most interesting character in the movie. Kind of an intellectual uh, guy with delusions of superiority. Die Hard has a lot of action scenes like the one on the roof. So many of them, you're amazed the skyscraper doesn't turn into the towering inferno. They're dropping explosives down the elevator shaft and whole floors are being blown apart. But you can also see there, I think, one of the big weaknesses of the movie, and that's the idiotic behavior of the Los Angeles Police Department. There was one character in this movie, a deputy chief, whose actions are so stupid and so unmotivated and wrongheaded that finally he just brings the movie to a stop every time he opens his mouth. Bad writing. He always says the wrong thing. He understands nothing. And with a movie like this, once you start picking out the loopholes, and there are a lot of them, it doesn't matter how good the stunts or the special effects are, or even how good Bruce Willis is. You just can't stay interested. I did stay interested because I saw this as really a mano a mano between Bruce Willis, who I think is very good in the film, and Alan Rickman, who is really quite devilish and quite sinister and threatening. And I also like the fact that it is held in the skyscraper, so there is some claustrophobia involving this terrorist, seeming terrorist attack. There's also a by-play relationship between Willis and his uh, woman, his former wife, and they want to get that going. She's one of the people that's being captured. But basically, I thought of two guys trapped in a tower trying to fight it out, and I bought the film. Well, what about all the cops on the ground? What about this deputy? But chief? they stay Even away after from them. They 
they stay away. They stay away from Willis him. Willis is brought down to the ground. Yes. Which is a miracle, considering that all of the elevator no. shafts have been dynamited. I followed uh, him all the way through. Uh, the cop is standing there saying, "We're going to bill you for all the damage you've caused." There are I mean, always groan at things. There like are idiotic that. cops in the Dirty Harry movies too, oh, when you no, laugh at them. I, the, Come on, because Harry's smarter. This is not an idiotic. Willis this is not an idiotic cop. This is idiotic writing no, to make no. a cop like this no. when it would have been better if he just pushed the action forward all instead right. of constantly being wrong-headed. One supporting character, two very interesting lead characters. I like the movie. Now let's recap our reactions of the movies on this show. Two thumbs up for the Deadpool, wow. the best Dirty Harry movie since the first one. Two thumbs down, way down for the idiotic thriller Phantasm II. Two thumbs up for Midnight Run, a tricky, right. warm-hearted, and funny thriller starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Two thumbs up for L'Ami de Mon Ami, also being called Boyfriends and Girlfriends, about the tortures of young love. And a split vote on the thriller Die Hard. I like the whole movie a lot better than he did. So Die Hard I recommend, but also the Dirty Harry picture of the Deadpool. That's just wonderful. And Midnight Run. And you know, we did a show not long ago on Overlook Star. All right. So, um, yeah, I can't. I, I was shocked. Yeah. I yeah. give up. Wow. I, uh, I cannot predict these he, men ever. He got snagged on the deputy chief of police. Yeah. yeah. Like, has he ever gone to a government office and tried to get something done? No, no offense, Thoreau. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no, I know. The person in charge is the least effective person. That's the point that they're making. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Like, that's and the joke is he missed the like who's in charge here. Mm -hmm. Reginald Val Johnson saying, oh, "Well, I called it in. Well, I'm in charge now. Who's in charge here? Well, the FBI's here. That's <laughs> how did he miss that? That was they were he was just set up for the FBI to also be incompetent. Well, yeah, the whole point was that like was yeah. I mean, the whole point was that he was incompetent. That was the point of the character. Yeah, right. And he um. If you eliminated all the stupid things he said, then you would also remove all the the mugging and reactions that Reginald Bell Johnson yeah. provides, which are comical and amusing. The eye rolling and the, well, the looks that would all be gone if this guy was a serious cop character. And and I will make the argument throughout this that this has the same archetypes, like the structure as a superhero movie because our villain his superpower is he has planned every single possible detail down to the last one which is the seventh seal on the vault like yeah. every single detail he has planned they have rockets for a reason because the little tank thing well i mean like, that's yeah. the whole point of the whole thing is that the only thing he didn't plan for was john mcclain john mcclain <laughs> yeah Yep. Yeah, and and the the terrorist playbook is foolish because they're not terrorists, mm -hmm. and they were playing the terrorist playbook for their advantage or to their advantage. Yeah, wow. So Gene, I did. Gene's dumb on this one. Um, uh, I want a uh, rush. Here, thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention one more actor, um, Al Leong. Uh, he was he played Uli, oh, oh yes. one of the goons, uh, yeah, the, the the one Asian. Oh, that guy, yeah, quote, the guy terrorist. who eats the snacks. Who eats, who takes the snacks in the front? Um, we have seen him before in Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. Yes, um, and he was also Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. He was in. Yeah, we saw him a lot in that. Yeah, Good Eye. Forgot about it. <laughs> Um, so, all right, that's about it, guys. You ready to jump into the movie? 
Yes. Who's going to say it? I never thought about it, but not me. Yippee ki motherfuckers. Thank you, Thank Al. You. I was waiting. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is Die Hard. We open Christmas Eve, a commercial airliner. New York detective yeah. John McClane arrives in L.A. I, I just want to say that there, if your movie starts with uh, Bruce Willis on mass transit, it's it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um and he's afraid of flying. That's a in- interesting uh, personality trait. Yeah. Well, and the first thing we find out about him is he's afraid. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we I, we I, get the take off your shoes when you get to your destination. It's the yep. most important line. Take off your shoes in the first 10 minutes. Make fists with your toes. It's incredible because it seems so out of place and weird. Your reaction is the same as Bruce Willis is like, what is this guy talking about? And it's the it's just to explain why he's not going to have any shoes. There are there are a million ways to do it. There are a million ways for him to arrive at no shoes by the time the terrorists attack. But this is the perfect way. It's perfect. It's fucking yeah, perfect. Right. Because right right we are bat. just confused. We're like, dude, keep your fucking opinions to yourself. We just yeah. sat next to each other for eight hours. How does Yikes. that help your fear of flying? Well, it's such yeah. great character stuff because it shows like he's open to other people. He's mm-hmm. yeah. He, he's not. He he's he he's not like a he's not like a know everything Rambo like Schwarzenegger type. He's he's very human. He's nervous. He's scared. Like it 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 does so much character work. This this little beat. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, it's it sets everything up, and um, it. it it sets up sort of his like, oh, L.A., oh, the, these, you know, Los Angeles yes. weirdos, which allows him to not be homophobic later, not to be racist <laughs> later. Not, you know, like he just is like, oh, man, L.A. Yeah. He, you know, yeah. instead of being like when the dude kisses him, he could have reacted in a much different way for a New York cop. Mm-hmm. But instead, he's just like, L.A. He's like, L.A. Yeah, I no, love it. It immediately it puts him out of his element. Um, Like, ah, oh, yes. So much character work is done with such such economy. In yeah, this film. first three minutes. Yeah. It's important that he has no shoes. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and the, the, the I mean, the, the giving him no shoes and the fact that he never gets shoes throughout the film. Right. Like, it's so... It's such an interesting choice. It's an unusual choice to make, but it does so much for yeah. the film. He, and he asks to clean up because he's just been on a long flight and he's at a party. And so that explains why he's not wearing a bunch of clothing, mm-hmm. yeah. which like you, Brian, you said it about the shoes. There's a million ways you could have done it because you can't shimmy through a vent fully <laughs> like with yeah, a bunch it, of layers of clothes. In a raincoat, it, yeah. But it's just as perfect. The timing of like, you know, he's just getting changed. When the terrorists show up. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. So I just want to say about the vents, like, so there's been a lot made about how vents aren't really good for shimmying through. <laughs> no, not recommended. I mean, and it's true. They are not. They are not. But uh, the, uh, the, the two big things people say is that, one, they're two, basically, they're not made to hold up a human body. So they're not so gonna good. most of the time. And that's fair. That's a fair criticism of any movie in which they're shimmying through vents. The other thing is that they're mostly filled with dust and are incredibly like filthy and awful to shimmy through. Um, I would point out that this is a brand new building still under construction. I was going to say, 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The so, dust has has already been blown so that out helps by the, explain that the cleanup crew. Yeah. This, they're generally not that large, but well, in a the, in a tower this large, they that explains that. They're they're part of the central air circulation system also. They're not standard vents that we would see inside like an office suite. Yeah. He right. is he is climbing from the central part of the tower that handles the air and electricity and elevator shaft access. And and yeah. also these vents, he's barely fitting through. It's not like movies later on where we see people like crouching and like walking through vents. Yeah. Yeah. Mission Dang. impossible where you can turn around, you know, at yeah. the corner of a vent. Like Yeah. I this this you, is the one time that does it right. Since you mentioned the dust, after he emerges from the ducts, his white undershirt has turned completely brown. All right. Oh, that's fair. fair. Yeah. He's, he's sweating. He's rolling around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At one point, it looks like he has almost like concrete dust on him or something when he's on one of the floors under construction. Yeah. Yeah. No, he gets he gets dirty as fuck in this movie. Um, so he arrives, he's hoping to reconcile with his estranged wife, Holly. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, so he carried his gun on the plane. Yes. Um, and he's just also carried on this giant bear. Now you would have to buy a fucking seat for that bear. Yeah. <laughs> and then just lights a cigarette when he gets off the flat. It just it felt so <laughs> it, like air travel. So wild. Yeah. It used to be we, we crazy. Missed- we missed the cigarette he smoked during landing. Yeah. Like, yeah. he probably oh. smoked an entire pack of cigarettes. The on that flight, especially if he's That's nervous. why he's out of cigarettes by the time he gets to the party. It's funny. We've turned on. They turned the they turned off the no smoking sign on the airplane. It's crazy that they'll, like, turn on and off the no smoking. Like, why? What is, at what point is smoking okay or not okay? In a- yeah. It affects the landing here. Yeah, like what is that? What, yeah, like they, yeah, they interfere with the signals. Like, what's the smoking doing that you sometimes can smoke on a plane? Well, you know why they keep the the smoking things and the, the ashtrays and shit, right? Is because they need it to be safe. At least if you are going to smoke a cigarette, that's right? Wrong. Yeah, that's why it's still there, just in case, in case someone yeah, decides to smoke it. anyways. There's somewhere to put them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, he does the shoes and socks off thing. His, his seat neighbor. Um, meanwhile, we cut to a Christmas party, um, at the Nakatomi corporation where Holly works. Uh, she's second in command there. Uh, she calls home, talks to her kids who miss their dad. They're with the, I guess it would seem illegal, (laughs) um, nanny. Um, John, meanwhile, uh, departs the plane, meets his limo driver, Argyle, who's been sent by Holly. Uh, by Mr. Takagi. That's right. By the Nakatomi. Oh, he's he's paying the bill, yeah. yeah. Um, Argyle drives him to the Nakatomi Plaza on the way. John tells Argyle about how he and Holly became separated. Um, he's a tough New York cop. She wanted a career of her own, moved to L.A. with the kids. Um <laughs> When they arrive, Argyle tells John he'll wait in the parking garage until he hears from him on the car phone. Again, great writing. Yes. Oh, you know, yeah. like if, if if Argyle just reappeared to do that move in the basement, it would have been like, what? But it was just so perfect. And every now and then we cut back to him partying with, by himself in the limo. Yeah. 
Just well, having a good time. Partying with the bear. I love that we get the first yeah. 30 minutes of him listening to music on the phone. And he's got a reason to be there still. He's like, I'm just waiting for a phone call from this dude to see whether or not I got to take him home with his wife or without him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it makes a perfect reason as to why he's not like, Who, what's this truck pulling in? Who are these guys? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not paying attention to anything. No. Yeah. And that's technically where he works. So yeah. it's not even suspicious that he's parked in there. That That's where he probably has to park the limo. Mm-hmm. But yep. yeah, so he's just kind of take, but... Well, yeah, and, again, if they hadn't set that up, if he just showed up at the end to ram into that van, it would have been so lame. When I was a kid, I used to think, why don't they check this limo? Why don't they knock on the doors or whatever? And it's the reason being because there's a bunch of executives from the C-suite at this party. Yeah. The driver's probably upstairs. They, they're probably hanging out with this is the CEO or something. Yeah, they assume it makes no sense in if there. You, yeah. If you think like a very wealthy person, like, oh, of course there's a limousine in the parking garage. They're going to be yeah. locked in anyways. You know? Yeah, they don't... Yeah, Takaki, he doesn't like hire a limo. He yeah. has limos. Yeah. You know, the, there, there's nothing unusual about a limo being there. Yeah, so, the company it, provides a limo writing. service. Well, and they it's might. A, and, it, and, and there's a, a Christmas party. There, it is a limo service provided and, by the company and, too. And Argyle is in the back with the thing yeah. up between the driver. They may oh, very well that's may have true. looked in the front seat. No driver. Okay, let's go. I didn't even put that together. This I, this was the first time where I watched this movie looking for things to analyze. Yeah. And that's always been one see of them. If there were any gaps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never looked long enough to really see where the cracks are. So, um, John arrives at the building. We see it's brand new. It has a computerized directory um, with a touch screen. Well, <laughs> which serves a purpose. It shows us that Holly is not McLean. She's right. Gennaro. Yep. They're doing it's. It's not just him going like, oh. Yeah, I'll go up to the party. My wife's up there. Cool. Well, go and ahead. It serves multiple dual purposes. It tells multiple us this purposes. is a very like new building. It's high tech, so they've got to do, you know, the 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 thieves are going to have to do high tech stuff. It shows us that Holly's Gennaro. Like it does so much work and so little. Yep, and that the security guards are there. There is security in this building. Yes. Yes. Which is hilarious because after he does the touch screen shit, he's like, Well, they're up on 39. They're the only ones in the building. Like, yep. Why'd you make me do Why that? didn't you just <laughs> Well, it's and interesting. Then the panel cause... looks like the panel in Superman 3. That's yeah, like it does. Richard Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's what you would do as a security guard. You want to just double check. Like I've never seen you. Yeah, before. you've got to enter I know, your stuff. I know in. everyone yeah. that works in the building because there's only 200 people that work here right now. Yeah. You know, it's so. not open yet. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's see. But uh, and you think they're telling you the Gennaro thing? You think that that relates to the romantic angle and the marriage yeah. angle? But it's way more important that she doesn't go by McLean, and you have no idea yet. It's, it's so so good. important. Well, and, and just so important. cool the way they did that. Little like like the moment later on where like they put the picture of the family down, and yes. that's and because she's because she's so frustrated with the situation. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so good. And that comes into play later because Hans doesn't see the picture of them. Dude, that right. fucking reveal of the picture is perfect. Too. With the asshole report. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, this movie yeah. is really good. Um, <laughs> if no one's ever said that before <laughs> in the 35 years since it's been released. Um, <laughs> Try hard. Yeah. Find uh, a problem with Die Hard. 
Uh, so yeah, John arrives. He goes upstairs. Um, he enters the party, <laughs> meets the boss, uh, learns the building's still under construction. He gets taken to Holly's office where he meets Ellis, the sleazy Again, Coke exec. The, one, the single lines, I just, the pointing them all out, the, uh, this is a beautiful building you've got. Yes, it's great. The three floors are still under construction. It'll be perfect once it's done. Moving mm-hmm. on. Yep. Moving on. Yeah, like in any and- other character delivering that kind of line you'd have to like fuck how do we sorry you can't go up to the 30th floor it's still under construction oh oh, i'll keep that in mind yeah Yeah. you know it's not like we're gonna go up there anyways for the party but just him casually saying it to our main character fucking perfect yeah such a and john is very affable he's he's a nice guy and you know like they could have made him total grizzled new york cop where he's just surly to everyone he's he's a slick detective too mm-hmm. he is he is constantly reading people to be oh yeah like you miss he's making he's making he eye contact co- dude yeah mm-hmm. the, the cocaine thing and the and his like nervous like oh shit i i thought it wasn't obvious <laughs> uh well i mean he comes up from the desk and going hey, yeah guys. <laughs> well that character is very yeah, it's, he's a perfect. <laughs> he looks cap- like okay. they captured the Gordon Gecko trope perfectly with yeah. this character. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's uh, finally reunited with Holly. She takes him to Ellis's private bathroom for him to wash up and change clothes. We get one other line that's important is, is to set a thing up. I don't know. You should see the watch. It's a Rolex. Oh, I'm sh- yes. I'm sure I'll see it. Sure later. I'll see it later. That's yeah. That is that is uh, some Chekhov's Rolex there. Katie and I watched this uh, the second time again. She hadn't seen it before, and she goes, "He'll definitely see it later." Mm-hmm. I was just like, "Yeah, these things are so clearly marked mm-hmm. in the movie. If you've watched it once, you then they are just obvious to you." Yeah, but on first watch, it's not obvious. It's great, great, right? It's just those fun things. I was listening to our Dial of Destiny episode, and it was like that line: uh, "Hit your face rings a bell." A bell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stuff yeah. like that but like no but yeah no but like the rolex thing it's pointed out by ellis who's sleazy and obviously this dude cares about a rolex well yeah and it's it's such a misdirect because it's we're thinking like why is he so what what's with this guy are they a thing he's clearly hitting on holly mm-hmm. it's all wait look over here you know hand wavy kind of distraction yeah totally. absolutely uh, so then, uh, yeah, he gets, re- they go to the bathroom for him to change. Uh, they warm up a little, start talking. She invites him to stay with her, but then they just start arguing about their separation and relationship. Um, she gets called away back to the party, leaves him to finish cleaning up and he takes off his shoes and socks and does the toe fist thing. Like the guy on the plane suggested, which works. He comments that he's right. Son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. He is right. If you ever go on international travel, I advise I don't it. See the connection. What is it? What it's rubbing your feet? Grounding yourself, I think. Oh, I um, mean, it's just it's just moving your toes. To Thirty-nine me. floors up. Uh, yeah, I couldn't figure out what why. Why? What do you mean? Taking your shoes and socks off. <laughs> why that makes air travel better after the. Flight. Oh, I it. Because you, I think after you get off a plane, you mindlessly keep your shoes on for way too long, and they've been on. I think it's just a relaxation exercise. Like if you did it after coming yeah. home from work, it would also be relaxing. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's sort of a horse and barn situation. You're afraid yeah. of flying? Well, when you're done flying, do this. I think I think it's less about the fear, and I think it's just a thing that people overlook because they're you get to your destination. Yeah, I don't need to overanalyze yeah. it. I just didn't understand it. I still... I've, I've been doing it since I was a little kid. Every time I travel, I get somewhere, and I'm like, I'm going to take my shoes off. And I take my shoes off fists. as soon as I'm in. I can't stand yeah. having shoes and socks on. Yeah, I, I don't have so my, that's just I'm my not kind of... I'm not a shoe off on the plane kind of person. Oh, I'm not either. And yeah, this, <laughs> but I always this is the, take my shoes off yeah. after I. This is the this is the closest I get. I don't to wear that. my shoes the duration of that trip. Yeah, and then fly home. Moon's the same. She cannot wear shoes. <laughs> she she. I eventually take my shoes off after any trip. Yes, I can well, say sure. that. Eventually, <laughs> I think yeah, we all sure. we all eventually take our shoes. I don't off take them off on the plane, and them. I don't take them off on the airport. But yeah, no, Moon's anyway. the same. She hates shoes. She'd be barefoot all the time if she could. Same. I'm I I'm not. I I'm not me. I wear shoes. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have the hard desert calloused feet, you know, I can walk on hot sand and rocks and does yeah, nothing. I'm not. I'm my my feet are are, are tender and soft like <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my feet are yeah, my feet are built like dump trucks, but uh yeah, they but, I like shoes. <laughs> Feet in general are very vulnerable, which comes up in this, which is why we yeah. are even talking about the fist. Yeah. Hey, check out our new foot cast. <laughs> oh, God. Only on Patreon. <laughs> um, Where we give you such advice. Or check out our new. Once you arrive somewhere, take off your shoes and socks for a little which, bit. Or, or check which out our new. do you trim first. Or check out our new point. feet only fans, which is a different <laughs> kind of feet thing. All different. <laughs> so, uh,. Yeah. Um, while he's changing, yeah. While he's cleaning up, uh, Hans and the boys arrive. The tower gets seized. They're heavily armed. They kill the security Uh, guard. Wait, you? That's one of the greatest villain entrances in all of film history. The the layers of henchmen that come out before you see Alan Rickman and the way he just—you don't even know who this guy is—and you're like, whoa. Yeah. No, this dude is something. Um. I love how uh, Theo and is it Carl that's with them? Um, they, they're the first into the lobby. Yeah. 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 They kill the security guard and the entire time Theo's talking about the uh, 87 Lakers, talking about Magic and AC Green and... Uh, Irving. Yeah, James yeah. Worthington. Yeah. Um, um, I, I did have one question about the... The van rolls into the, the garage mm-hmm. and they all roll in but there's no security on the garage level. Yeah. Well, it's they I I felt that was a plot hole. I I well, mean they, I mean they explain that every the entire building has gone home except for this one holiday party. So they have a skeleton security crew. They the only security right. they have is the dude at the desk. They have the dude at the desk, the dude uh over by the elevators. There mm-hmm. was a second dude on the the ground floor. Yeah. Right. But the garage is like just completely open. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, f- I I think they There's have just to still lapse in security. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, no, but they mention it. I, I think it was intentional for the the heist. Yeah, I I think they were just they they were they were depending on them having a very lax security since there's really no one here other than the uh, the party. Okay, but um. So yeah, they let's see. Uh they take down the security system, they cut the phone lines. 
Um, while uh, John's on the line with uh, with Argyle, he's calling down to Argyle to tell him that he's still not sure if he's going home with Holly or not. I there, love the there dip- was the oh, go there ahead. There was the weird thing uh, with uh, Carl and his brother Tony or something, uh, where <laughs> the brother is trying to like German name re- Tony. Yeah, I was going to say that classic. He's trying to rewire the phone lines, and then Carl comes in with a chainsaw and just and mockingly just just cuts them all. But he's like really fast trying to like rewire something before he's done. He was was trying to. I think he was trying to reroute the banking line. Uh, I think that's what it was. Like they were trying to stay connected to the to the banking information oh 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 so the computer would something with the computer maybe yeah yeah there there was a specific network connection that yeah that they wanted to keep open but then also also later like when the fire alarm gets pulled uh they have to call out to the police to tell them it's a false alarm that's Mm. right that's what they were doing they were they were they were like circuitous around basically cutting off all access to the upstairs yeah yeah but the downstairs still had the ability to call out. But that also tells us that Carl is a little bit hot-headed and impetuous. Yes. Uh, and shows without telling that he is the older brother. Yes. He, <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's absolutely. The, that is some older, older brother, brother shit. Dude, yeah, I was, this is my project, and you just came in and cut it in half, and he's just like, hey, 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 hey get fucked. Yeah, I'm Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, love, I love the German-ness of the two brothers, though, because they are clearly very open and warm with each other and no one else, mm. which is very oh. German, yeah. which is like, yeah. yes. my brother is the only person I say I love you to, and we kiss on the mouth, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We brush, we brush each There's a word there. for that. It's Kleiner Schlackentang. <laughs> Me, yeah. Meanwhile, Hans is Hans is like, will you carry my jacket? He's like, I only carry jackets for my family. You know this in Germany. We do not love each other unless we are family. It's like, Jesus, man. I just wanted you to hold I my jacket. I only carry jacket. I love that in this film, uh, Alan Rickman does both a German and an American accent, but never British. He yeah. is not. I don't think he's German. Like he Hans was Gruber. Oh, that's true. He is. They said Hans he was Gruber part of the West name. German. He was part of a West German terrorist group, but they kicked him out. We find. That I out love later that they on. are a West ter- or a West German terrorist group. The Berlin Wall yeah, was still up. Why, yeah, no, but East would make well, more sense. But it, but it makes sense because they weren't trying to inflame Cold War tensions because it's a Hollywood movie, you know. They didn't yeah. want to say that the Russians were the bad guys. Right. Because if it was East Germany, it would have been German communists. You know, or but they would have been West Germans. They're just like a, they have an ideological. The communists or something. The yeah. West Germans, there may be. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. There weren't quite as many rabble rousers. Well, I, I assume, I assume pretty... that a, a West yeah. German terrorist organization is a German unification organization, would be my thought. Makes sense. That makes sense. They, mm-hmm. they want to return Germany to their. Former glory of one state, which gets really close to being a really scary, well, concept. I mean, that's the, that's what we're living with now, and, and so far, but it's been. But I mean, at the time, okay that, so far, I I could see them saying like, no, no, a West German terrorist organization that makes sense. Yeah, I could see people being like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, and then it makes even more sense when you find out that it's all mostly bullshit. So yeah. it works on those two levels. Uh, Hans and the guys arrive at the party. He makes his big entrance. They take everyone hostage except for John, who hears the uh, gunshots. He slips away, armed with only his handgun. Um, and Argyle is still in the parking garage, oblivious to what's happening. Uh, John runs up to one of the floors that's still under construction, still barefoot in just his undershirt. Um, and pants. And pants. He is wearing pants, yes. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hans declares his group terrorists. They have vague demands, though we find out after uh, he takes Mr. Takagi into his office to uh, access... Uh, the computer system that what they're really after is 640 million in bonds in the vault. After uh, failing to get the access code from him, he just kills Mr. Takagi and has Theo go to begin breaking into the vault. John snuck into the hallway and is looking through the door, uh, the, uh, the windows of the office and sees the murder happen. Uh, they go up to the roof. They start wiring it with C4. We learn the safe has seven safeguards, seven locks. Theo can get through all but the last lock, which they cannot bypass locally. Hans has a plan, though. Uh, John sets off the fire alarm to get the uh, attention of the authorities. But before the I, fire I, department show up. I love the detail that he has a plan and he does not tell us what it is. He doesn't mm -hmm. tell Theo what it is. He just, don't worry. I've got a plan. Yep. It's a cool mystery for us and the gang and just everybody in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, apologies. I I missed a, an Alan Rickmanism um, when he shoots Mr. T Takagi. Um, Alan Rickman had a habit of flinching uh, when guns, when firing guns. Mm. Um, so they have... Every time he fires a gun, they have to cut away from his face. You can see him. You can see him wince just a little bit right before he he pulls the trigger on on the gun. Hmm. Um, also, uh, this uh, this whole movie um, they made special uh, artillery, special blanks uh, to be louder and to flash more. Huh. Wow. Interesting. Um, which also caused some partial deafness in Bruce Willis later. Mm. Um, this, this film, I don't, it did feel like a new kind of action film when it came out. Like it felt snappier and more fun, less like it, it was not Rambo or Terminator or, you know, commando predator. Mm -hmm. it, it like felt like it, it, it felt really, really fun and light in a way that, a lot of prior eighties action films did not probably the, 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 uh, the one it was closest to at this time then would have been lethal weapon. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is some serious Shane black lethal weapon kind of energy. Yeah. And it, it made fun of some action tropes without being over the top, you know, things like you're running out of table, you know, like where yeah. we would see people like evade bullets in the most half hearted fucking way. Well, yeah, and we get we get the the villains are not just dumb. That's not where the humor comes from. Straight yeah. villains. They're well, they're smart yeah. 
at every moment. You what? know, there's no moment where the villains are dumb, dumb. And I love Besides that it, maybe fighting John all the time yeah. with their fists. I love that it's not a like an unlimited faceless goon army he's facing. There's twelve yeah. guys. And he has killed three of them and he's he counting down. Yeah. 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 And it's like you said, he Rickman not revealing his plan. Like on one hand, he enters the movie like a Bond villain, but like doesn't do that cheesy Bond villain thing of letting you know what the uh plan is. I like his entrance we haven't really described his entrance, but like he bursts through the door of the party and just shoots the gun into the air and does like a little shimmy and it's like Hans is here. Yeah. Oh, we we also haven't discussed the fact that he arrives and does not say any words for six minutes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say a yeah. single word and he is doing so much acting with his eyeballs yeah. and his hands. He is touching everything. When Takagi takes him in uh to the the boardroom or whatever, where they've got the big model. And he's like, I always love models, the precision. Um, that's a huge character moment. Cause it's clear that he has, he is familiar with every part of this building. He probably has yes. a model of Nakatomi Plaza back at home. Mm-hmm. He mentioned uh, it's, loving models. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just another character development moment that, that is a casual line of dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Let's see. They the terrorists call off the uh, fire department, but the alarm has made Hans suspicious. He sends Tony up to investigate the floor where it originated. There, uh, Tony and uh, confronts John. John kills Tony, takes his weapon and radio. He he then he basically taunts them by tying up Tony into a chair and sending him down the elevator to the uh, floor with the party with. Now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 written on his shirt. Which I think was his biggest tactical mistake. And it was definitely him being uh, caught up in the moment. You can tell, I think, later that he's like, fuck, I need that machine gun. Like, I have it, and now they know I have it. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. I think if he hadn't done that, that probably would have worked out better for him, ultimately. But it also shows that he's not... It's part of that he's not a perfect killing Rambo type machine. He's like a dude just doing stuff. He decided to show off. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, well, and also that, that probably slowed them down from their They, they now had to regroup and make a new plan. He, he was probably concerned. They're going to start killing kidnap victims. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, he, he uh, goes up to the roof, uses the radio to contact the LAPD. Uh, they think he's pulling a prank. The terrorists head up to the roof because they can hear what's happening on the radio. They start firing at him. The police decide to send a single officer to check, and they end up sending Sergeant Al Powell, a nearby uh, patrol officer, to investigate. John escapes the terrorists on the roof. He manages to kill some of them and recovers their bag of C4 and detonators. Which are very important to the plan. Yes. Which we don't understand yet. No, we don't. I love the obsession with the detonators. Get me my detonators. Constantly. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we have no idea what for. Mm -hmm. Well, And when we find out, it makes perfect sense. But yeah. It's a great plan. Yeah. 
Well, and it's it's because like we find out later on, like the FBI have a specific set of of things they go through in these situations. And Hans knows that. Yep. The terrorist playbook is easy to get your hands on. Yep. Um, so Powell arrives, he goes into the lobby to check things out. Uh, there's a terrorist posing as the security guard. All the Germans do great American accents in this movie. They do. Um, they've, uh, he finds nothing to miss. He leaves, he's getting into his car and John seeing that he's leaving, uh, smashes a window and throws a terrorist's corpse onto his car. Pal drives himself in reverse over a ledge. He, that was a slight overreaction on his part. No, he's taking automatic machine gun fire. Uh, this is this is one of the things that for years had always driven me crazy. They they have a perfect line of fire down into the car, but he drives so far with that body on the hood. I think the body is a, is taking all the bullets. No, no, no. They weren't shooting at him. John was shooting up into the air in order no, to no, frighten no. him. They were also shooting down at the car. Were they? Okay. Yeah. There, there's two. There's two positions where they are shooting down at the hood of the car, and you can see the little the sparks, you know, from the okay. whatever explosion, the explosive blurb things. Um, but yeah, so once the once the body falls, um, they're like, okay, now we have yeah. to eliminate this guy. Mm. Yeah, because if he gets away, he'll bring the the, the police cop. earlier than planned. Because mm. they planned on them arriving, just not yet. There was a quick shot of. Uh, the cop car reversing over a curb and the body bouncing off. Yep. Yeah. That was where I noticed it this time. I was like, oh, okay. And then he bounces over the curb and then down the hill where he's out of view. But I was like, oh, the body is drinking the bullets up. So he doesn't get sprayed in the face by bullets bouncing off the hood. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, um, oh yeah, this, uh, this is the point where John talks to Hans on the, uh, the radio, it talks about being a cowboy. We get yippee Kaye, motherfucker. Um, then we yeah. cut to a local television station, reporter Richard Thornburg. Here's about the commotion on the police scanner. He uh, gets his boss to let him take a remote van to Nakatomi Plaza to uh, get the story. Um, Powell talks to... It's, it's weird that we get like a power dynamic between the two. <laughs> journalist guys yeah like i'm trying to get that chair it's be like you already cast william peck we know he's a douchebag you don't have to sell us on it more (laughs) um so uh yeah uh pal talks to john on the radio john tells him a little about the terrorists while the lapd arrives for backup pal's boss shows up doesn't believe that john can be trusted uh meanwhile Upstairs, Holly is negotiating with Hans for the hostages to go to the bathroom and for a couch to be brought out for a pregnant co-worker. We see that Hans isn't isn't without some, I don't know if it's empathy or some, at, at least he knows that he has to treat them, treat the hostages with a little bit of humanity in order to keep them under control at the very least. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't make unreasonable requests, and he that's right. He grants them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a reasonable man. Like, no, you can't go be in an office alone. But we'll bring out a couch, and then it's like, can we go to the bathroom? And he has a moment of like, well, yes, of course. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> tell people they can't go to the bathroom. Right. Yeah, because if I do that, then they're going to start really, really being unmanageable. 
Yeah. I think it's in the Geneva Conventions. You you have to take four people at a time to the bathroom yeah. in regular intervals. Geneva Conventions and kindergarten field trips. It's the same. <laughs> it's either that or the comic convention. One of the conventions. <laughs> One of the, Geneva or comic. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the limo, Argyle's watching the local news. He finally hears about the attack. The SWAT team arrives. They uh, start to attempt to uh, storm the building. Um, uh, uh, John basically tips off the terrorists because he knows if the if they come in by by talking about it over the uh, the the walkie talkie because he, if they come in he knows it's going to end up with the the hostages getting killed or at least some hostages getting killed and he's trying to avoid that. Uh, this is the first time where it seems like the authorities are okay with a certain loss of life to take care of the situation. The much more obvious part being later on with the FBI agents in the helicopter. Uh, so uh, he ends up, there's a firefight begins. Uh, the terrorists are in a firefight with the SWAT team. Uh, John ends up throwing some C4 down an elevator shaft, causing an explosion that kills some of the terrorists and causes the SWAT team to retreat. Oh, and they, and they blow up the, uh, before the second floor gets, gets blown up with the C4, um, the terror, the not terrorists, yeah. uh, rocket, the, uh, the assault vehicle. Yes. The, ar- the armored car. Yeah. Um, on the news, we discover that Hans used to be a member of a West German terrorist organization, but was kicked out. Uh, Powell's boss talks to John, but he doesn't like him, and insists on only talking to Powell. Was it the Red Army faction? The oh, in West Germany. Yeah. What did they or call? Did they, they said the name of did it. They make a, did they make a fictional? One? I think they made up one. Okay, that, I, that would make more sense. Just to not step on terrorist yeah. cells. Yeah. <laughs> They're very they litigious. Those terrorists. <laughs> we would never rob a bank. Uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, Ellis decides to take things into his own hands, and he gets uh, Hans to uh, invite him into the office by telling him he's friends with John McLean to try and uh, resolve the situation. He talks to McLean on uh, the radio on Hans's behalf, but ends up getting killed when John refuses to surrender. Uh, before, uh, when he's just, uh, Ellis is just, is talking to Hans and, and the rest. Um, but he says, Hans, booby. Yeah. I'm your white yeah. knight. Uh, the Hans booby was uh, ad-libbed. <laughs> so when you see Alan Rickman's reaction, he looks very quizzical. Before he delivers his response, because he was not expecting that. That was just a genuine, like, what? Okay, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. <laughs> that's brilliant because Bubby is a Yiddish term of endearment, and Hans Groomer is very German. So, yeah, there's probably the, I don't even know what that means. And secondly, like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like it's- another fun thing from this, uh, this scene. Uh, that I never noticed before, uh, but someone on the internet pointed out. Um, I, I noticed that he's given a 
glass. He's poured a glass of Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Ellis is. Um, it's probably because he walked in and was like, do you guys have any Coke? Oh, I never thought yeah. about that. <laughs> Why, you guys got me? Uh, um, yeah, so Powell's boss blames John for Ellis being killed. Hans calls the police and demands the release of imprisoned terrorists all over the world. Um, this is clearly a ruse. Uh, he tells them to bring helicopters to the roof where the hostages will be taken. And uh, they and the hostages will be able to to be uh, uh, wh- where they w- will make their escape, according to what he tells the police. Uh Hans decides to go upstairs and check on the explosives on the roof himself. There he runs into John McClain and pretends to be an escaped hostage. This scene was unrehearsed Hmm. uh, between these two actors uh, to uh, give a greater sense of uh, spontaneity. Wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah, they, they, I guess they were probably given the lines, but just like they never, never rehearsed it. And it was Hans is so good. So he good. is because <laughs> even the way he answers yes to like, like do you smoke? He kind of like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> or yeah. I don't know. There's just something about no, the delivery and it's just the word. Yeah. Yeah. He's does something. He does. He does a performance. That's like interesting and off kilter. Yeah. Oh God. Don't kill me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're one of them. Uh yeah, and <laughs> doing an American accent, which is great because it is a good American accent, but it's also clearly fake, which is it it actually is fake because he's British. But don't forget, McLean has all of these preconceived notions about LA and the people in LA and the way they sound and the way they act. So And this is just a it's dude. not unusual. Mm-hmm. This is just a dude in a suit. So he's like, okay, you're yep. just a weird LA well, business guy. That being said, let's be real. McLean's not an idiot. He doesn't give no. out bullets in the gun for a reason. He yeah, saw he him was, doing something fishy. He did not trust his gut at all. Yeah, no. And um, Hans even gave him a real name of somebody in the buildings. Like, I'm Bill Clay. Yeah. Which uh, is brilliant that he had a name on deck. Well, no, because he... how prepared he was. He saw. He saw... Oh, he looked up and, and saw yeah. Bill Clay. Oh, yeah. I caught... I, I didn't catch the, now, the I, look at it. Yeah. I'm... I'm... I'm. You're muted, Josh. I'm unclear if... um If if Bruce Willis sussed out that he gave a fake name, but clearly he didn't trust him. He was playing yeah. careful. That's why I said I was muted. Like, they didn't let us know, but it's possible McLean also noticed the name. Because it's revealed McLean didn't buy it from the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, they they did show us uh, John looking at the, the board with all the names. I didn't the names. realize. I saw the board. I didn't realize we were seeing it from Rickman's POV or John's. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, they did shoot it, I think, twice. Yeah. yeah. But he's being careful. He's not 100% certain. That he can't trust this guy, but he's pretty yeah. certain. So he's not just killing him, but he's also playing it close. He's not going to give at, him. At, right. No cop, let alone, you know, but certainly no cop is going to hand over a weapon to somebody, even if he can verify dude is on his side. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Unless we're in a zombie situation. Yeah, exactly. Well, and he does it here. So follow me with this gun too. Yeah. Plus the guy was panicky at first. Like he definitely wouldn't have given him a gun mm-hmm. because he thought, yeah. Oh, this guy would be great. No, in a firefight. I think he's Cops trying don't to give guns to civilians. No, they just no, don't. No, they take them or they shoot you. Um, I think he's trying to put Hans at ease as much as Hans thinks he's trying to put McLean at ease. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, does, and does he smoke weird? I'm trying to think, Hans, Hans. No, I don't know if it's weird. But, Maybe but they all smoke because it's a point of. They do. Yeah. I okay. The Germans do seem to hold it. I don't know if it's European style, yeah. but they hold it like this. Yes. Yeah. That's yes, instead of like do. through the two fingers, American style. And, and when they do the two fingers, it goes um, Spock style. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I don't know. I didn't pay enough attention. I don't know if he does something with the cigarette that helps tip John off or not. not sh- sure. But he does mention that's one thing. One reason why he knows they're European. Well, because the European cigarettes. early on, yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyways, Gruber immediately tries to shoot John after he gives him the gum, but he finds out it's not loaded. Um, John's gonna shoot Hans, but then the uh, other terrorists show up uh, in the elevator. In the elevator, um, he get he escapes. Eventually, after a whole action sequence, but he gets injured by shattered glass. They shoot all of the glass all around. He loses the detonators. Um, uh, he did kill two more at this point. Yeah. What are we down to was, at this point? It's like uh, five. I think Probably. So. Um, the detonators. Uh, I think the reason why he took the detonators off because he was shaking that bag off of him mm-hmm. real quickly because they're super explosive. Hmm. If you get shot in a detonator, you're going to blow up. Yeah. And not, and not like the C4 is going to blow up. I mean, the C4 will absolutely blow up in the bag, but the detonators will all explode and you will be either dead or the worst third degree burns that are bleeding <laughs> profusely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, this is another one of those details where I was like, why does he lose the detonators? I'm like, oh, because he's taking heavy machine gun fire and he gets grazed. He will explode. It's like Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. His little aide de camp dies because he uh, has a, a detonator explode in his bag, mm-hmm. and he like bleeds to death in a minute. Very sad. Yeah, I mean that's what they're for to incite an explosion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so outside, the FBI agents finally arrive. They take control of the uh, police response. Johnson and Johnson. Johnson yeah. and Johnson. No relation. Uh, like no need, but just so fun. Like there's no need to throw that in, but and great. they are both such douchebags immediately. Yes, and they even have, and this was most of my life to let you know. But like even the no, the other one. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, um. So, uh, or he's like, it's just like Saigon. I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, it's. It's funny. This was uh, what fifteen years later. So yeah, guy in his forties was in yep. Saigon in the mm-hmm. early seventies. Um, yep. Anyways, out. Let's see. They they order the power to be shut off, which, as Hans anticipated, disables the final vault lock. 
They get into the vault and they get the bonds. And there's works of art in there. There's all kinds. It turns yeah, there's out. like samurai armor and like paintings, also, Renaissance paintings. Yeah, so much stuff. But they really are only after the bonds. The other stuff would be too hard to get away with, I think, given their plan. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they had a van, but you're right to get away I mean, with because they cause, were going to flee the country immediately. Yeah. Bearer bonds are as good as cash if you've got somebody to buy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he's talking. Hans mentioned bearer just means the person holding them, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ha- Hans mentions by the time they know we'll be on an island collecting twenty percent, so they're gonna. I, I think invest he, wisely. Invest, yeah. They're gonna sell the or bonds. Put them in an off an offshore account. Something, yeah. High, high interest and just live out their life on an island, being rich, rich Europeans on somewhere in the tropics. But this I love even community. from Chicago all the way through like people just being like, this was for money. Like all of this was for my, I, I just love that, that it keeps I, coming up. Like I, I love that, but it's 1988, you know, like, of course they're doing it for money. That's of course everyone would, but yeah. I love that they gave, he seemed so sophisticated. They gave him yeah. so much credit that he wanted to make social change in the world. It was like, a surprise. Just a thief. Yeah. But, and- um, uh, in the, uh, the the original book, um, they were actual terrorists, not bank robbers. Um, and there was an executive decision made or a writing decision made that the American public would identify more with bad guys just trying to get money. Well, it, it would have been so convoluted if their fake plan yeah. was the real plan, letting out all these political prisoners all over the world. Yeah, it's like Ugh, that would have been terrible. Yeah, no, no, but this this makes this makes them a little more human. It makes them like like yes, yeah, real. Okay, they're terrorists. They're trying to get money, or they're trying to get money. Well, they're trying to, and they are all so human already. Too. Each individual character has a little bit of panache, you know. That's also uh, unusual for money. Is action. everyone's motivation good and bad? That's Mr. Takagi's yeah. motivation, Hans Gruber's motivation, Holly's but it, too. It, but it's great that people are incredulous. Like I would, ex- like they expect more. Like there's a standard of crime. Like you went to all this elaborate trouble. You, you know what I mean? As if they bought tickets to a show. That didn't deliver the way they thought it, it was mm-hmm. just a neat writing kind of like oh you're just a common thief like well yeah, yeah he's like no money. i'm an yeah. excellent thief <laughs> i'm an excellent thief yes i i wish that we got a hans gruber uh prequel series <laughs> just him group. pulling pulling more and more elaborate heists the group to, to, to the maximum 600 million dollar heist uh, downtown la um, it's yeah, no, I mean, and this, it's very unusual for an eighties, eighties bad guys in an action film to be humanist or to be human characters. Yeah. You know, usually it's it, like the faceless Eastern European horde of bad guys. Right. Yeah. Mercenaries. Yeah, exactly. But this like, yeah, it's, it's a small group. Um, and it's uh, it's 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 they have a very specific, understandable goal. Yes, and using terrorists as a smokescreen is is just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. 
Because uh, of the zeitgeist, because of the fear in the public. So the FBI agrees to Hans's demand for a helicopter, um, but instead of sending transport, they're going to send gunship helicopters, thinking that that's going to be a surprise to them. Of course, Hans is anticipating this. Um, John finds the C2 on the roof, realizes that he's that Hans is going to blow the roof to kill the hostages and fake his team's deaths. Um, Wait, did you just call it C2? Or C- C4. C2. I don't know what two is. It's not as C2 good as C2 is C4. only C2 is only half as explosive. Yeah. yeah it's just sort of a tickle. The, the C4. I mistyped. <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah. Uh Carl um finds McLean and attacks him. He he's still pissed off about the death of his brother. Um he Carl seemingly is killed at this point. Uh, meanwhile, Hans sees a news report by Richard Thornburg uh, where he interviews McLean's children and realizes that he is Holly's husband. I think this is the single most fucked up thing that happens in the movie from a character point of view. Like, this is. <laughs> he goes yeah. and puts those children on TV while this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah. yeah. No, this is the perfect casting. <laughs> For this douchebag reporter, he's the- and, and it filmmaking. It's brilliant. It's fucking awesome. What the reveal and the way Rickman turns around and lifts the frame. But yeah, from a humanist point of view, that fucking guy. Yeah. If John and Hans hadn't met upstairs, the photo wouldn't have done anything. Yep. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. No. If he- they had gone through the whole movie not seeing each other. Yeah, he wouldn't have known. But um, so, all right, uh, he takes Holly personally hostage and the other hostages are taken to the roof. Um, John goes up to the roof um, and drives the hostages off the roof using his machine gun, <laughs> um, which the FBI agents think is uh, the terrorists. And so they start firing on the roof. They say they're willing to accept 25 percent loss of the hostages from their own fire. Yep. Um, so, uh, uh, just then Hans detonates and destroys the FBI helicopters. Meanwhile, Theo, uh, gets to the escape vehicle and he's going to drive away, but, uh, Argyle drives the limo into the escape vehicle. Which he didn't have to do. No. He, Argyle has like zero investment in this, he just saw trouble and turned himself into a hero. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, he could have just stayed safe and just sat there. And 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 Theo probably would have gotten away. He would have been the only one that gotten away. He would have had hundreds of millions of dollars because he had a good amount of it, right? Did he have some bonds with him? Or did... I'm did, not, sh- I'm not uh, sure. Yeah. yeah, he was loading the van with so, yeah, I mean, some were lost by uh, Hans. He he was getting it ready for the others to come down. Yeah, but he probably would have gotten away if it hadn't been for Argyle. He and he alone would have. Um, we also okay. John jumps off the roof, strapped to a fire hose. Yeah, this is where he, yes, <laughs> and shoots out the window, goes through the window, and ha- gets the fire hose off him just as he's about to slide out the window. I love the prayer to God 
because he's already used the MP5 to climb down the air circulating shaft. Uh-huh. And this is fucking pushing his luck, dude. I'm going to tie myself to this fire hose and jump off the edge and hope to land in a window. And he's like, dear God, I swear to God, I will never do anything ever again. Please, God, don't let me die jumping off the building during an explosion. Like, like, and we've all tried to tie, you know, just a bow knot in something so flat and hard, you know, yes, unmalleable, if you, uh, yeah, like tying a belt, (laughs) like getting a leather belt and tying it. It's like, yeah, that's not real secure, but I I just, I love, I love the little humanizing details. It's, it's that it's like, if he had initially when climbing down in the shaft been like, dear God, please. Oh, but this time around, he knows like, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is fucking, that last thing was wild. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Has my luck run out. Yeah. And, yeah, and then the thing starts falling, and he's trying to get it off him, and the terror in his face is so genuine. I love the double setup the of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, he, uh, John finds Holly with uh, Hans and his remaining henchmen. One, one guy. It's just Hans and one guy with Holly <laughs> and Franz. Yeah, Hans and Franz. <laughs> so. Um, he, uh, doesn't have any bullets left in his, uh, machine gun. He has two bullets left in his pistol. He tapes his pistol to his back and goes out and bluffs, drops the machine gun to surrender to Hans and, uh, manages to use the last two bullets. He wounds Hans, kills the other terrorist. Um, Hans falls through a window, but grabs onto Holly's wristwatch. I, I love the laugh. Yeah, the laugh and the eye contact with both dudes, mm-hmm. and when, they both start Han, laughing. When Hans repeats the line "Yippee Kaye, motherfuckers," and John takes advantage of that and laughs, they they share a laugh. They and have, everyone's confused by what's going on. Holly is concerned that John yeah. is laughing. No, no, no. John, John, and Hans legitimately have this one. This a weird connection and in this one moment they honestly shares a laugh at something yes the, the well and it's the cowboy being out cowboyed yeah but the cowboy is out cowboying the cowboy that's out cowboying the cowboy here let's keep <laughs> it straight <laughs> yeah so um uh he manages to get the watch unclasped and hans falls to his death al do you have you I know do. the, the yeah. tidbit yeah uh, for this shot, um, they actually dropped Alan Rickman uh, <laughs> forty From feet a building. On, onto an airbag. They, they, so they feet. dropped him forty feet. Um, but That's Rickman awesome. was being held up by a rope uh, by stuntmen, and uh, he was supposed to be dropped on the count of three. They dropped him on two. I love it so much. He was so pissed. <laughs> yeah, I he was, he so, was so mad. He was so that. pissed. Um, thus getting the genuine surprise the yeah. reaction. Uh, the surprise and terror on his face was real. <laughs> it was like, oh, Jackie Cooper. I wasn't ready. Shot my dog. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any information in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that this was day one of filming. No, it was the last no? day of filming. Oh, okay. Okay. It okay. actually I was. was. I was going to say, I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh 
Um, so uh, John and Holly stumble out of the building to meet Pal in person for the first time. But suddenly, Carl, still alive, jumps out with a gun um, and gets killed by Powell. Reginald Vell Johnson gets an arc in this movie. Yeah. Yes. He, he said he would redeem draw himself. his a gun again. Yeah. He gets to, yeah. you know, we get to feel something for a cop who killed a kid for mistaking a toy gun. <laughs> He's like, oh no, it was a 13 year old German kid with a ray gun. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, he was, he, he, he was high on coke and accidentally killed some tourists when he was supposed to be. And the, oh my God. <laughs> hey, Reginald Bell Johnson in Basic Instinct. <laughs> the Michael Douglas character. God, I, I can't wait for that fan edit on uh, YouTube. Uh, so, um, yeah, Holly punches uh, the Thornburg, the uh, the reporter, when he tries to interview them. Then Argyle just crashes through the parking garage door in a limo. Uh, I love, I love that. Oh, he's he's with me too. To, yeah. to Powell as he puts the yeah. gun down because he's still he's like me. holding the gun with both hands. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Argyle drives John and Holly home together. <laughs> Roll credits. Oh, the weather outside. The this song. Ah, oh, such a perfect. We get Christmas, Christmas in Hollis. Yeah, the uh, Hollis is awesome. Yeah. But yeah, the weather outside is "Let It Snow" is what Reginald Bell Johnson is singing to himself. Yeah, uh, oh. and then they play it later at the convenience store. Oh, that's right, and he's got a pregnant wife. Uh, I forgot about that. When Katie yeah. watched this the first time, he's like, oh, yeah, they're not for me. They're for my wife. And she just looked at me like, are you fucking kidding me? They're going to kill this cop right now. <laughs> Which yep. is a great no, subversion he, of that he, trope. He's retiring in three days. Yeah. You know? yep. Oh, yeah. Huh. He has family matters to attend to. Mendoza. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> like, I promised my kid I'd hit the home run in the big game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um that yeah, that is Die Hard. Hell of a movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect movie. Absolutely. Rogers out of his goddamn mind. Out of his mind. Yep. That's a dude that watched seven movies that week and was over it. Uh, yeah, he's like, I like this French movie, Boyfriends and Girlfriends. Uh, I mean, they so, were so smart about Midnight Run. But... This is a Christmas movie. We have determined. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John McClane wears a Christmas, Christmas hat time the whole movie. time. It's not about Christmas in the way Home Alone or It's a Wonderful Life sort of is, but it's a Christmas time movie, yes. I mean, it's about family and staying yeah. together with the people Absolutely. you... Yeah. All uh, the themes are there. Negotiate multi-million you know, it's not, dollar But it's not like Jingle with. All the Way or the Santa Claus yeah. where, you know... Because like I said, I think with the July... I think they were like, we want you to like this movie anytime. But it's yeah. a Christmas time movie. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely a Christmas time movie. Doing coke at the Christmas party, watered down champagne, oh, yeah. uh, sex on a desk. Yeah, mm-hmm. all the themes are there. Of a Christmas, <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> that's a traditional. You know, that's more. It's traditional Christmas cocaine, <laughs> but they are oh, German. Something, something I I wanted to mention about this that I noticed uh, on rewatch was John doesn't know the building. He doesn't know his way around the building at all. Yeah. Right. He knows where he came from and where he went to 
constantly. Mm-hmm. And he makes these little loops throughout the building. Um, at one point when he is trying to come back down from the roof, he sees the girls, the, 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 pin-ups. the pornographic the, images. The pin-ups, goes, yeah. Hey, girls. And I always thought that that was funny that he's going, hey, girls, to these, you know, these nude images. But I realized that's him orienting himself to the building. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is such a cool detail that as a little kid, I saw nudity. But as an adult, (laughs) I'm like, oh, he's trying to build a map in his brain so that he knows where he went to that last Mm -hmm. circle. Like, oh, if that comes back here. Oh, okay, I know where I am now. Mm -hmm. I I love those little details. There's so many of them. So many. This yeah, the, this movie didn't need to be as good as it was, and it didn't need to. It it it. There's so many '80s action movie tropes it decided not to do, which would have been stronger. It holds of up. That. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember a moment that was cringy. That like, oh, that doesn't still work. Yeah, there was not. There was not. Yeah. It holds up just fine. There was none of the casual racism. There was none of like the weird well, like. And the racist elements that we get are terrible. And we as an audience go, that's fucking terrible. Right. And and it's not our villain who does it, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. It's the fucking media dude. Yeah. And it's, oh, I'm going to get you deported. He doesn't know that she's an illegal immigrant. He assumes that shit. Yeah. yeah. And that's the one instance of real racism that we get in the movie. You yeah. know, like. And, and he's the, painted as the asshole for it. I, I hate to say this, but like the two black characters are very white. You know, the black criminal is not like he's not there because he's gangbang and he's there because he's the computer he's expert. Yeah. You know, he's the code breaker. Mm-hmm. And the other guy is there because it's his first day at his job, dude. I don't know. I'm just normal. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not a guy who like, oh, I just got out of jail and this is my first job. He's just like, this is my first yeah, job. Yeah, he's like I'm 20 years old and it's just, a, yeah. he got a job driving a limo. Well, and Reginald Bell Johnson is just like, he's like a family yeah. man. Like, like everybody's just people, mm-hmm. you know, like their identity is their identity, but they're just people also. They're not defined. It's it's even cool. the villains aren't caricatures right. somehow. And that is hard to do. Yeah. Especially Germans. Well, like, yes. not, to, not to be like, oh, the, the, the light of the German character in film. History's but like, greatest villains. Yeah. Like they, they're not they're not bullet catching punching bags mm-hmm. because they're not Nazis. You know, yeah. like oh. it's. They're apolitical. It turns yeah. out it's the motivation that we all have money. They're they're capitalists just like us. Yeah. Yep. Well, and there's not any casual misogyny. Holly uh, has has agency. She Holly does is things. John's equal for yes. sure. Everything are, that there John are some does, boobs, but it's not gratuitous. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a holiday party. Of course, somebody is fucking up in an office. But you're right. She has. She's second in command. She immediately takes charge. She and she she tries to stop uh, Takagi from making the just the decision to uh, to walk forward. She, mm-hmm. she her hand wrapping around him is so controlled and like yeah. listen to me, I know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Like and a cop's wife. Yeah, yeah. and you, she you don't well, play your hand. She you is don't a show su- anything. She's a successful white collar businesswoman married to a blue collar cop like that is a decision that only a powerful woman can make, you know, like yeah, I married. I married a guy who makes less money oh. than me. I chose and to that's do that. The symbolism of the Rolex being pulled off of yep. like this career is what came between us, 
And now it's kind of be, you know, now that's sort of over. She's uh, sac. I told Katie this last night. I was like, it's like she's sacrificing the thing that made her free, so she can go back to her patriarchal relationship. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, back in ew! Queens. I hate that reading of it. <laughs> <laughs> is, what is what will become of that business? Uh, well, we'll have to see in Die Hard 2, Minnesota edition. Yeah. Or is it Chicago? I forget. I can't remember where they are. Yeah. That's next Christmas. That's that's the one I've watched the least of the first three. I have that's watched... Sam Jackson. No, that, I remember three, that. Three Isn't is that? Sam Jackson. Oh, three yeah. is Sam Jackson. Two it's is two, on then. the plane. Three is Sam Jackson in New York. That's with the Wait, right? two is the airport where they've got the secondary location that's Hans Gruber's brother, right? Yeah, it's revenge for killing his brother, and it's like targeting John McClane in particular. Yeah, but then the third one, it's just he stumbles into something again. Yeah, um, I've not watched any of the ones after three. I just couldn't oh, bring man. myself to do it. I saw one of them in the movie theater because I was like, "This is supposed to be fun," and it was just the most CGI. He flipped a car into a helicopter, and I was like, "That was really cool," but. Holy shit, man. No, he rides a motorcycle onto a helicopter, doesn't he? No, no, no. Like, he he drives car. he flips a cop car into a helicopter to crash it. I'm sure he does both in different ones. And he Jesus. he jumps out of the car before it goes up the ramp. So it's going like sixty miles an hour when he jumps out of it. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah, so um <laughs> the, the sequels may not hold up as well after well, the third one. Third we'll find great. out next Christmas. Die Hard Three is great. But yeah, um, I don't know. Final thoughts, unanswered questions, anything, guys? Oh, I have an unanswered question. So our protagonist, from the very first scene, it is clear that he is barefoot. Mm-hmm. Shoot the glass. We see him dragging his ass into the bathroom and pulling panes of glass out of his feet. They are just huge shards. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and we see the pool of blood that is following behind him. Yeah. What was that Hansel and Gretel story about following breadcrumbs? Oh. That's the story. Um, That's my only unanswered question is how did the German guy who is a fucking genius not go, just go look for bloody footprints and you'll find his ass? Well, I'm thinking because he killed a bunch of the other guys, so there's probably blood everywhere. That's true. But, well, I mean, or, but there's only blood. Or that was part of the idea, but things quickly got away from Hanzo all that's around. That's true. Oh, and I, I think that that's kind of what happened. I just wish that he had said, like, go look for these footprints. I, I, that's the reason why I told you to shoot the glass. It's not that it's, like, a bad story writing beat. I just, it's something that I wish that they had casually dropped as a single line. Mm. And for them to come back saying, like, he went up into a vent. <laughs> you know, like, he's gone. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, dude. He's yeah. gone. Because yeah. it'd be easy enough for him to lose the trail. You know, you wrap your feet plastic or something, and then you take the plastic off the shoot the glass part happens sort of towards the end of the yeah yeah it's we're down to four people i think yeah yeah and hans has a lot more to deal with he's trying to get the hostages where they need to be he's trying to get the bonds out like at that point he's 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 really spread thin he's running out of laborers to do the work he needs yeah he's trying to multitask he's he's got his detonators back yeah well which is his Um, primary focus it was just primary focus, and he's just like, okay, back to business. This guy is neutralized. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that him killing the the the, the goons had a slow effect on the plan. Mm-hmm. Like, in the beginning, it's like, 
we knew that we were going to, you know, run into problems. But then those problems just continue and continue and continue until it's the three of them left. And then Argyle is able to take out one of them, you know, like, I don't know. I yeah, love, you, I you love throwing that. an unknown variable into the yeah. equation and it just disrupts. It's, yeah. it's like, it's like the uh, Americans and the, the Americans considered by other militaries. It's like, just expect chaos from us. You can never plan what the Americans will do because they are planning to be as chaotic as possible. Right. Uh, so, all right. Um, that is Die Hard. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, yep. Great movie. Glad we did it. Which means uh, we're going to discuss what we're going to do next week. Next week is my holiday right. phosphorescence choice. I had a few different ones I was looking at. There was a brief period of time where I really considered making us watch Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I ended up not going oh, that direction. Thank, please, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I still have never seen it. We should do it at some it's point, so but not for Christmas. I really like it. I know I can tell Josh may have a different opinion, but I... No, I don't just... I, I just thank you. I don't want to watch that and talk about it. Okay. <laughs> just, um, there's so much to it. No, there's a lot. It's Kubrick's last film. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Oh, it's Spielberg's film. <laughs> Eyes wide. What? Eyes wide shut. Uh, half of it. Not AI. Like, he, ed- of it. he he like edited, and did, did did like some some post stuff on Eyes Wide Shut too. AI he took over yeah. completely. Yeah. But I, Eyes AI wide shut. Over. Yeah. He finished in like the cutting room. I'm pretty sure. He was he he's filled in the seat. At that I think point. it was a sad coda to. Yeah, a brilliant man's career. But anyway, I mean, yeah, but it's still so it's still a very interesting movie. <laughs> but anyways, um, but uh, I thought about reindeer games briefly. Um, but what I settled on was Jack Frost. Oh my God! Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That that's our will We are going to be doing Jack Frost, <laughs> starring Michael Keaton. Next so week, uh, Michael Keaton and a CGI snowman representation of George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. And he's a harmonica player. And he's a harmonica. A professional harmonica player. Yeah, that's all he does. All right. Yeah, yeah that will be next week on Holiday Phosphorescence. Um, until then, thanks for hanging out with us. This has been your thro- host, Throw Smiley, and I am not the one who just got butt-fucked on national TV. <laughs> I'm Josh CC, and I hope next year we do the sequel, Bruno's Revenge. <laughs> I'm Brian Lesh, and tell me you got that. I'm Alaric Weber. Uh, tell our listeners I should have been more supportive. <laughs> I will. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Boop, boop.